Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. We're mixing it up a little bit with a barbecue-specific episode this time and bringing on the CEO and owner of Meat Church. He was a contestant on Barbecue Pitmasters off TLC, been a number of TV shows and other media outlets that have interviewed him or had him cook for them. A multitude of pro barbecue competitors that compete with his products and are incredibly successful in doing so. He's done personal cooks for a host of A-list celebrities. He's intertwined with both Jack Arnold, shout out to Jack, and David Andrews, shout out to David, uh, in the kind of web of uh, friends that we all associate with that we uh, got to know each other from. Most importantly, he uses a rib rub for aftershave and can outcook you with a fucking easy bake oven. Please welcome Matt Pittman of Meat Church. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming. I know, uh, you know, in, in the grand scheme of all the guests I've had on, you certainly live in my neck of the woods. Having said that, it is still Texas, which means it can be hours away and it's considered right down the fucking street, uh, which it is. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy uh, slinging the rubs and sauces and cooking for country music stars and, uh, you know, all the, all the different things. Um, I would like to, uh, again, say thank you for making the time and uh, get right into our lightning round, uh, which is going to be some uh, questions of absurdity if you're ready for that. Let's do it. Um, what is your take on the, uh, the global geopolitical implications of mass genocide in sub-Saharan Africa as it relates to our foreign policy? The good thing about being a barbecue guy is I'm one of the stupidest guys you've ever talked to, so I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I had to throw that one at you. Uh, most of our guests have uh, you know, a, a pretty hefty fucking opinion of something like that, but uh, I wanted to make you as uncomfortable as possible. Perfect. Uh, I am going to put you in the hot seat a little bit. What, uh, what's the most overrated barbecue joint? Now I'm, I'm going to ask that you talk shit about somebody. Wow. That is a lightning round right there. Man, that's a tough one. Are there a lot of them, do you think? Do you think a lot of them are, you know, no pun intended, but smoke Well, blowing? yeah, there's this uh, legendary in Texas list called the Texas Monthly Top 50. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, if you get on that list, it's a pretty big deal. So, th- yeah, there's certainly, like, really well-known ones out there. And now there's there's all these new ones popping up that are, like, super good. Yeah. Um, so it's 
now you look at that list and you're like, mm, how the fuck are they on yeah, there? How are, how are they on there? So, yeah. you know, not to throw shade, but I'll answer your question. So the last list that came out, the current one, last list, there's a, a place in Fort Worth right down the street from me, Longoria's good people, great people. And, uh, I went and had it and I was like, how are they on this list? Yeah. You know, and they're not on the, not on the current list. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, I say I'm not in the business of telling you what tastes good. You get to pick what you want yeah. and what, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, that's definitely kind of political. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, to me, it's, uh, there, there's so few people that are willing to call people out that, uh, I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of why, Mic drop has uh, has gotten to where it's gotten is because there's not really a filter on no shit filter. like that. And, you know, to me, you know, there's plenty of people that think, you know, my online training sucks, as an example, um, or that I'm a shitty trainer or what the fuck do I know about anything or, or whatever, which everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, however, that's their right to, to fucking say, you know what, I don't think you have any business fucking training dogs. Okay, you know, but I, I should also be able to say, yeah, I think your restaurant fucking sucks. Right. You know, I don't think you have any any business cooking fucking barbecue. But, you know, and I, I think in our society, there's too little of that. There's so many people that are, are so fucking worried about offending somebody or being like, well, you don't like my stuff or, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, not everybody likes everything and, and whatever. But uh, getting a little soft. Yeah. That's uh, that's the fucking truth. Uh, when's the last time you fucked up a cook for somebody? Like where you like you were in charge of fucking running it, and uh, it wasn't just you know you in your backyard. Like you went to cook for somebody, and you're like holy shit, I screwed this up. That happens more than you know. <laughs> <laughs> are, can you tell? Like, are they honest with you? Like, man, what the fuck? Well, yeah, I mean, so I did a barbecue school a couple of weeks ago uh, for a hundred people, and it was off site, and so you know I, I get everything cooked and take it there, and. There's nothing worse than uh, my buddy Corey walking up to me and saying that brisket was dry as shit, <laughs> and we got to oh, serve it to awesome. all these people. And yeah. I'm like, well, go buy some some beef broth and yeah. dredge it or something. So, yeah, two weeks ago. No shit. So it happens to the best of us. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. The I know for like if I'm at my parents' house or some I'm out of town at a client's house or something, and they. Uh, are making something where they want my opinion not, not that i get paid to fucking barbecue but obviously it's a, a big part of of who i am and what i do i've gotten into it pretty hard over the last decade but you know same thing like it's hard to cook not in your own fucking spot you know yeah. like i mean even if you're cooking on the same type of grill like if you're cooking on a primo or an egg or mm -hmm. a fucking you know a pellet smoker that you have the exact same one it's still not the same and it's hard to hard to do sometimes but what is your favorite competitor's product Hmm. man that's actually awesome. a really hard question yeah. because you know like i i'm most known for our seasoning and yeah. so it kind of depends on how you like what is a competitor and i've always said i'm not gonna have every i'm not gonna try to have every seasoning for every cook so there's things that i won't have but you know, when I go to like a big competition and I see the biggest of names using something else, and there's a lot of them out there, not to skirt the question, I'm like, oh, well, I want that. Even though I target backyard, we're all backyard guys, right? I'm yeah. not just targeting a competition guy. And so, you know, there's there's a few out there that I look at and I'm like, dang, that stuff's really good. Or maybe things I don't sell. Like I don't sell barbecue sauce, which I think I'm, you know, maybe losing money at this point. So yeah. I've got, you know, a buddy of mine in, uh, in Oklahoma that makes comparable stuff and he's got sauce and his sauce kills it and I don't have sauce. And so yeah. I think, you know, probably Obviously. losing money not doing it. So yeah, there's a lot of good barbecue sauces that I'm envious of. Is there a one rub that you can think of that you're like, yeah, it's a good fucking rub or that, you know, that you used to use before you did it that, uh, you know, is something that you think is, uh, adequate. 
Yeah, I've got a friend, Jess Pryles, down in Austin, and she's got a red rub that a lot of my rubs have sugar in them because I think that makes a really balanced barbecue rub. But sometimes I cook something and I don't want any sweet on it. Yeah. Right. And so I'll grab her red rub and use it. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, man, I wish I had one that was more savory like that. Yeah. And so I, I, the bad yeah. thing is it's my kid's favorite rub. <laughs> well, to me, it's it's really fucking cool, I think, to you know, to ask a guy like you questions like that and, and you be honest, be like, yeah, there's this, this other rub that I, I really like. And it, one of the things that drives me nuts in the dog industry is the amount of shit talking that takes place. I, I can't imagine barbecues any different, but, yeah. um, you know, it's just like, to me, I, I do my, my damnedest to not, you know, talk shit about other people. Like if I don't have anything good to say, I, I just won't fucking talk about it, at least not publicly, you know? And, and, uh, but on the same token, you know, like if somebody legitimately needs to be called out, I'm happy to do that. But I think, uh, you know, just your honesty is refreshing, I guess, is my point. Well, I get it right in my face right now with social. I mean, I'm out there on social media, yeah. right? And so I get, I get, uh, I trigger people a lot, even though I try, I try to stay pretty neutral in just what we share. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I triggered two or three groups of people in the last 10 days, you know, posted a pair <laughs> of Nike shoes. Yeah. Um, that were a gift from a friend. And that was one thing. Uh, you know, anytime I post like Yeti stuff, I trigger these dumbasses that think that yeah, you know, art's better support, or whatever or people that think they don't support hunters and the oh, ra yeah. and no, i got gotcha. you so you gotta yeah. be ready for that yeah i mean that's that's one of the you know social media is obviously a big double double-edged sword i mean it's it's an amazing tool to you know for assholes like us to you know reach millions of people on the same token it uh, it, it invites a lot of fucking bullshit too but uh, what's the most non-traditional food that you've barbecued like you know, something that's not traditionally barbecued that, that you've done that most people would never think to, uh, to smoke. Yeah. So I get asked that a lot. And you know, what's the craziest thing you've barbecued or non-traditional and, you know, thing with me, I smoke everything. And so that's kind of how I got into this. I, I, um, you know, I had a big green egg early on and I literally, I love the smoke flavor of anything. And so I'm not just making this up, but you know, you start with brisket and ribs and pork shoulder and all that, but I'm out there cooking freaking cookies on it. And, yeah. uh, uh, so, I would say probably one of the most non-traditional right now is I use a lot of smoke elements and drinks, cocktails. Really? So, yeah, like I love to make an old-fashioned. Uh, you make smoke simple syrup or you smoke the orange that you're going to shave to squeeze into the into it. Um, yeah, you can cool. make like a smoked like Tito's lemonade. And so I like smoke elements and everything probably more than most people. Like I could go from appetizer to cocktails to dessert and have smoke in all of it and love yeah. it so i try to see if you can smoke anything i cook and my, my honestly my goal is to not use my oven yeah <laughs> <laughs> one thing for me that sometimes i find it tough living in texas and you know at this time of year july august is you know standing out there and not using your oven when it's 106 fucking yeah. degrees you know but i guess that's uh, that's the labor of love that is barbecue right yeah um what is your favorite, if you can only pick one actual restaurant barbecue joint, what's your favorite one you've, you've been to or, or your go-to? Man, you're getting the tough questions early. So, you know, man, there's a lot, but I think that Bodacious in Longview on Moberly, because there's two in Longview, uh, currently number four on the Tex Monthly Top 50. It's a friend of mine, Jordan Jackson. It's a legendary place because his father-in-law, Roland, started it and is just kind of a genius in barbecue in the 70s and so and passed away, I think, last year. Jordan kind of resurrected it as a classically trained chef but does barbecue, and he's super creative. Yeah. And so you can go in and just be like, hey, dealer's choice, give me what you, know, you want to give me, and he'll give you some sort of crazy sausage. Like since he's East Texas, 
he brings in like boudin flavor from Louisiana yeah. and makes this ridiculous boudin that he'll put brisket in. And you're like, dude, that's yeah. the best I've ever had. He could, you know, cook whole hog for the first time and make you a, he made these whole hog euros last year and they were amazing. So like the, any, he made beef ribs and shaved truffle on them fancy, you know? So, uh, I think his, his stuff is just like super legit and it's kind of off the beaten path. It's not in Dallas. It's not in Fort Worth. You got to drive to get to it, but every bite you have is going to be just like unbelievable. So, so that's interesting that, you know, Bodacious is a, is a significant size chain, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but that one is completely different from the rest of them pretty much. So, yeah. And that's what I, you have to tell people. And it's, and it was a big deal a couple years ago when he made that top 50 list because it's like, Whoa, you just put a chain on there. But I have to tell people that, oh, no, he's, I mean, yeah, it's technically a chain because the family owns all these other ones and those folks buy their rubs and they taught them how to make barbecue. But Jordan has the name on the door, but he's doing his own thing. I mean, it does roll up to the family. His wife is Roland's daughter. So it, yeah. it is in technically in the chain, but you know, does his own thing. And, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. that's pretty sick. Like it's like, you would go there and I mean, I'd ask you, have you ever had a bar- better meal? Like yeah. it's that good. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, fuck now. I, I mean, that's not that far from here now. Uh, you gotta go. Now I need, no, I know where I need to go. Uh, is there a, a, like for, you know, the, the more novice or, or lay person, uh, listener, is there a best YouTube channel to subscribe to that, uh, you know, all things barbecue related? Starting next week, Meat Church. Is that right? All right. Fucking <laughs> A. Which should probably there, be out by the time this is released. Yeah. Uh, so we have a channel, but we have one really good video on it. And we just shot two weeks ago. We said, all right, uh, it's going to be a focus now. So brought a crew over, shot three videos, and the goal is to release every other week. Oh, so nice. we're making it like a disciplined effort. And I'm going to start with all the core stuff. So we just did a, we did a three-part series on brisket, a trim, a cook, a burn-ins, whatever. And, and we'll go through the core stuff first and then do unique stuff. But... Um, the one I watch that a lot of people like is uh, How to Barbecue Right. Buddy of mine, Malcolm Reed, he's got probably 700,000 likes. He came down and taught a collaborative class with me about five weeks ago at my house. And, I mean, he's definitely YouTube famous. I looked at my kids and I said, hey, I'm bringing a YouTuber. And yeah. it, it didn't fit their bill, <laughs> but, um, you know, for seven and eight-year-old. But yeah. his is that guy has cooked everything. He's to the point of um, – you know, he's probably on his 19th brisket video, you know, yeah. Oh, I've never cooked it on this. So let's yeah. try that. But it's, yeah. it's really cool. What was his name again? Malcolm Reed. It's Malcolm how Reed. to BBQ, right? Oh, okay. Well, there you have it. Um, last, but certainly not least the one question that every motherfucker that comes on this show gets asked, what is your morning routine? I wake up and I grab my phone and I look at my social media cause I'm absolutely addicted to it. <laughs> no, sure. I got to know how much it grew the day before, you know, yeah. Who did I trigger? Like I said, uh, I deal with that. And then I open a monster, drink the monster, crack open my Mac. And then, uh, I personally handle a huge portion of our wholesale business still. So like if Bucky's is ordering, I'm the one doing it. Um, and so I, I handle all that and make sure the administrative side of the business is good. Um, and I try to get all that done before my family wakes up. So what what time do you typically get up? 5.45. And you, you, do you not eat anything the first few hours? Well, unfortunately, my wife has me on this damn keto diet right oh, now, so I'm in a intermittent <laughs> fasting mode, so I don't get to eat till the afternoon right this yeah. second. So that, uh, hence the monster, right? The monster's yeah. the one thing. You, you that's can, right. So it worked out good. I was like, I can't, can't do this. I'm like, oh, that, sh- that sugar, whatever, it works. So, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm right there fucking with you. I'm, I'm a coffee guy in the morning, but same same kind of principle. I, I usually don't eat till the afternoon either, but... Um, 
All right, so before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes, I do want to take a quick second to give a shout-out to our sponsor, which is Origin Labs, uh, makers of Jocko's products as well as their own supplements. Uh, they also do boots and jeans, which uh, are, are pretty fucking awesome. I, I have some of them now, um, as well as some other stuff coming down the pipe. But uh, great sponsor, great people. Um, love what they do and, uh, and their support for Mic Drop. Um, so, again, shout-out to them for being our sponsor as well as teamdog.pet. If you have a dog, fucking sign up for teamdog.pet. And while I'm on that, just real fucking quick for everybody that's listening, I get message after message after message asking for tips and free advice on um, dog training. And, and it, I, I get it. That's what I do. And, and I understand that comes with the territory. Having said that, do not ask me a fucking question if you're not a Team Dog member, plain and simple. And if you are, do it in the forums. Um, that's not my full-time job is to give out free training advice on, on Instagram. So just stop doing it, uh, become a member, ask in the forums and I will interact with you, uh, there as a customer. So that's all I'm going to say on it. Moving back into, uh, why we're here. Uh, where are you from? Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and where you grew up. So I was born, uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee and, uh, you know, my family, both sides of my family, half comes from Georgia, half comes from Alabama. I say they met in Tennessee. And um, so I was there till I was 13. So I, you know, grew up on the sweet pork kind of stuff. And then uh, parents divorced. Dad came to Texas and I, I followed him here. So yeah. how old were you when that happened? Um, so they divorced when I was eight. Yeah. Uh, but at around 13, I moved, came down for junior high and was coming down for a summer and then never went back. How uh, how big of a transition was that? Obviously, I mean, ten, a lot of people that are not in the South or Mid-South, Tennessee and Texas probably seems like it's the same spot. Obviously, there's a difference. How big of a transition was that for you moving from Tennessee to here? It probably messed me up pretty good now that I look back because um, I thought it was funny. Now that I look back, it was opposite of what I thought, I believe. But I was like, man, Texas was like – so I, I now know I grew up total redneck, right, yeah. um, and love it. <laughs> but when I came to Texas – I. I don't know what it was, but I remember my dad walking me into school uh, to sign me up. And I said, I said, get me in honors classes and get me away from these guys. You know, <laughs> and uh, my dad was super pissed off. But um, oh, I quickly weird. realized through pretty much hazing that, you know, I was the one that was a little behind the curve. But yeah. it, it was real different. Um, yeah. Totally, totally, totally different than when I was used to. And I had no family down here other than my dad and my brother. So it was total culture shock. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is there something specific that sticks out as being like, holy shit, I wasn't expecting this culture shock wise? Well, it's specific to us. I mean, we moved to Mineral Wells when we came down here and we moved into a, a log house that had no central, no, no AC. I mean, I had a window unit where I came from, but I don't even think we had that when we got here. And uh, our washer and dryer were in a building outside of the house. And my, my mom, our stepmother was like, yeah, so scorpions could drop from the rafters and you just kind of knock them out. I was like, what the hell is a scorpion? You know, I'm scared <laughs> to death no of this crap. So, um, we were, I moved from kind of being in the, I lived in the city in Tennessee, but my uh, grandfather in Alabama had a farm. So I spent a lot of time on the farm. But when I moved to Texas, I was totally rural. And yeah. so my life went from, I had no, you know, we didn't, Mineral Wells wasn't a big town. It's a piece of crap town. Yeah. Um, so shout yeah. out to Mineral Wells. <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, my brother's the mayor there now. So love it. Uh, no shit. But yeah. So we, anyway, we, it was just different, you yeah. know, and it wasn't necessarily specific to Texas, but um, yeah. way different. Just a big wake up call. What, uh, wh- where did barbecue first kind of, come into your life as a child in, in terms of what you remember uh, in relation to it impacting you? All I remember as a kid was that families grilled, right? I remember there being a grill and hamburgers and hot dogs. No, nobody doing low, slow barbecue at all yeah. whatsoever. You know, I know growing up there, we went to eat barbecue. And like, like I said earlier, I ate a lot, you know, pork ribs and pulled pork. And that was really my recollection my cooking recollection comes from my granny who just cooked giant Southern meals, but not barbecue. Yeah. So does, does that continue to influence some of how you barbecue is incorporating some of that into, into it? Well, what I incorporate into it really now is like my granny's whole thing was taking care of people. You come home from church and there's this giant table just like filled with food. Right. And I'm like, how did you cook 19 sides in 45 minutes Um, (laughs) with one fucking oven? Exactly. You know, this little bitty kitchen. But anyway, I think just the taking care of people, you know, like everybody loves eating, right? You don't, you're happy when you're eating and and our lives center around food. I'm not trying to be cheesy, but think about how much time you serve on the table. Right. And so it's that it's the community. That's why we call it meat church, the communal aspect of it. So I take that from it. It wasn't anything specific on cooking. I mean, I do love Southern, like I'm a comfort food guy. So I'll fried chicken and mashed potatoes you to death eight days a week. I take that from it, but not any, no, no style or anything like that. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the interesting points you made, you know, and, and I, concur a hundred percent i don't find any any cheese factor whatsoever in, in the the bringing together of of people that that in no other fucking aspect of their life would interact with each other barbecue and in f- food you know specific to barbecue brings some pretty crazy fucking people together you know and yeah uh, i i know you know i don't do it for a living it's totally a, just a, a, a geeked out hobby of mine but you know, I've met people, you know, just because of it, you know, or even just talking a little bit on, you know, bits and pieces here. I mean, what's interesting of, of all the hundreds of thousands, or I mean, at this point, millions of listeners, a lot of them are into barbecue from all different walks of life. And just the little mentions that I've made in different episodes is why you're sitting here is there's been enough people that have been like, Hey, do a fucking barbecue episode or whatever. So yeah. It's pretty neat whether it's NFL football players like, you know, David Andrews or, or Jack out of North Carolina and the crew that he runs with or, 
you know, whatever. It's uh, it's it's a really neat neat aspect. And did you ever watch um, that show? Uh, fuck, I can't. Remember, uh, Anthony Bourdain's uh, oh, yeah. No Limits. I think. Yeah. You know, to me, that's a good example of all over the fucking planet. I mean, you, you look at the role that food and and gathering with people that that you know and and love, whether it's family, friends, whatever, and and sharing, eating. It, it is. It's a, a huge part of our lives that I think. A lot of people either either don't uh, realize or or don't take advantage of, but uh, I think it's a really really neat element of, of our society. Um, when was the first time you actually started barbecuing growing up? So, really, college. I mean, I grilled through. You know, I, I grilled uh, actually into high school, being in college got into grilling a little nothing crazy right i was young didn't have money whatever and the barbecue aspect started in college so you know going and having barbecue in texas having central texas salt and pepper beef barbecue and being like whoa that's extremely different than what i had it was like a head popping moment yeah and that's that's when the bug bit me and then i had a couple college buddies that um friend of mine pete his dad had a huge offset that his dad had made out of louisiana prison labor and he'd be like come over saturday we're gonna we're gonna barbecue but when he said that he meant like we're throwing 45 racks of ribs on like huge and so that's that's really how i got into it yeah well and and so one of the things that i didn't know about you until you know just a little bit we were talking before we started recording uh you know of of kind of what you did you know most of your adult life or, or for a lot of it that didn't have shit to do with barbecue. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, graduating high school, going to college and what, what was your, your goal or your MO, uh, during that, that part of your life and what were you doing? So, you know, in high school, like junior high and high school, I'd always been an entrepreneur and I've talked a lot about this lately, but I used to, in junior high and early high school, I used to buy like bicycles and tear them down and repaint them and sell them on like a first Monday. And then when I got to Texas, um, I don't know how the hell this started, but uh, I used to make suckers that we sold at school. People people were big into making candy. I, like I said, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. And then like bracelets and stuff. And so I did little things to make money. So I always had, always trying to be an entrepreneur, made t-shirts in college and I always thought I'd have a t-shirt website that like sold funny shirts, but I just never got it going. And anyway, I, I, um, nobody in my family had graduated college. And so it was in my head that, all right, I did good in high school, got some scholarship offers. Like I'm going to go, you know, do what smart kids do and get a degree. So in and out of school in four years, got a finance degree at UTA. Um, cause I always been kind of a numbers guy and my senior year, my, um, one of my accounting professors, he just told us, he said, you know, the new hot degree right now is computer science. And I love computers. My dad had bought me one. I was one of the first kids that had a computer um, that I knew. So I was into it, but I I had it in my head again. I'm going to get in and out in four years, and so I'm not going to go change my major. Got out of school, went over to SMU and took some Microsoft classes to get my foot in the door uh, to do IT. And so right after college, I did that. And so I was working for Bank of America in college. Um, and so from there until the end of this past year, I've always been in financial services, but I did IT. So most recently, 20, 21 years into working, was vice president of technology operations. So infrastructure, data centers, hardware, your laptop, a help desk. So that's what I did during the day. And, and, uh, and barbecue was a hobby. Oh, shit. So, I mean, obviously that being that skilled at that's got to pay huge dividends in running your own business, right? Um, (laughs) the, during that that entire process, I guess, or actually before that, you mentioned scholarships. Did you did you play? You were good at some some sport, or was it all, all academic? Academic, yeah. I um, 
I went on a, most of my, most of my tuition was paid for. So it, I was able to, I was on my own. So I was able to get by without loans. So I got out of school with no debt, you know, so I kind of went where the money was basically. Yeah. Um, you didn't wait for the government to bail you out. Huh? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, it's interesting here in, you know, to spend that amount of time in, in that environment, you know, it, it's, it's a little, you know, contradictory in terms of what most people I think would expect, you know, looking at where you're at now and just judging a book by its cover, like, you know, I'm assuming that surprises most people. It's actually, it's super interesting. If you follow along with me to some of the things I do, if you watch reactions. So I did a, I did a private gig a couple weeks back. And so it was a private barbecue school. And so it was for a company and their clients and the CEO didn't know me. You know, one of his marketing guys booked it. And I can tell you when I first met him, he was totally judging me. Like I was the dumb barbecue guy. Yeah. Right. And to be honest with you, I don't give a shit yeah. because I'm like, I retired at 43 years old and I wake up and I may make barbecue. I may drink beer and I get paid. Yeah. So not too bad. Um, but by the time the school was over, the guy was like holding up his phone, swiping through pictures of his house saying, could you come to my house in Houston and do this? And he was like totally in. <laughs> Uh, another guy that uh, that I've known for a long time, I ran into him at a restaurant, and he actually said he just like, shrugged his shoulders and was totally judgmental. Like, well, I guess if you want to make barbecue every day, and I said, well, I might make barbecue or I might not, but I don't go to the office every day like you do, and yeah. just kind of shut that down. But it really going, I don't, I 110 percent made the right decision, but having this very structured corporate life, like what people do when they grow up. Definitely has paid dividends, but I don't miss it at all. Yeah. It, I did it, I guess, kind of an opposite way. Like a lot of people have this idea and they try to make it go earlier in their life. And that was what was hard for me. You know, I tell people I didn't figure this meat church thing out in my 20s when I could have just quit my $35,000 a year job. That wasn't the case. I mean, I was at a very lucrative job for a company that we had taken public 18 months prior, had stock, you know, wasn't getting rich off of it, but was doing really well. And it was, you know, my wife's whole perspective was, it wasn't what Meat Church was doing. It was why the hell would you ever leave that? Like yeah. we have four kids and two are in college and that's like the most amazing job. It's a, it was a career job. Yeah. So why would you leave that? Um, so it was really interesting going through. I mean, it took me almost a year to convince her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I, I can certainly relate to, to being in that position. I am curious, like throughout the, the whole time uh, while you were in corporate America, that is it 21 or 24 years? 21 years. 21 yeah. years. Was there a certain point during that 21 years that was kind of a, a light switch or like a, a crossover where you're like, you know what? Yes. You know, like barbecue has gotten this big in my life where I, I know I want to do something with it. Was, was there a point in that 21 years where that was, yeah. distinction was made? So, I mean, not in the beginning, not in the middle. Cause at that, you know, you're out of school, you're fresh, you're meeting your future wife, you're focused on getting a promotion. And then I think corporate America sucks the entrepreneurial life out of you. Cause you're so focused on the job at hand and getting busy with life yeah. and having kids. And then honestly, the other thing is, is me church is only five and a half years old. And so it started, it wasn't intending to be a business, right? Like we went on this TV show, took two of our rubs on the show that we made. And uh, my wife asked me, she said, what's going on the show going to mean for you? And I said, I don't know. I'm like, we don't have a barbecue business. Like if we had a restaurant, it'd probably be like six months of business, but I have no idea. But obviously took the rubs on the show for a reason and they showed them. And so by the time the show aired, we had a website with those on it and the shirt and hat we wore and we sold a few things. And we launched like a really cool hobby, right? So mm -hmm. in the night I could go see who bought stuff and we could ship it out and it was kind of cool. So zero to five and a half years, you know, high level hobby the first year, hobby the second year, but like made pretty good money. And then the third year I was like, 
there's a business here. Now, I didn't know if it was like leave my job business because I kept thinking it would go down. You know, our numbers have always increased. And I was like, at some point it's going to dip and just being skeptical. So it, it, year three, uh, beginning of year three, I knew there was some sort of business there. And then year four, I became personally in my head as a businessman. I was like, this is, I'm going to do this. Now, no one else thought I was going to do that. Yeah. But anything I ever go do, it's like, I'm, you can ask my wife, like anything I do, I'm 110%. I woke up one day and said, I want to start doing triathlon. And three years later, I did a full Ironman. So I'm not going to half-ass anything. You did? Yeah. No shit. Where at? Uh, Panama City. So. God damn. What, yeah, do you remember your time? That was, was before sub- I got good. Well, it's nothing to brag about. Was it sub 10 hours? <laughs> Hell <laughs> Sub no. 12? Hell no. Yeah, I was right at 13. Hmm. So the, I, well, call it, I call it the respectable time for having two kids. No, I, to, <laughs> I mean, let's... Let's not bullshit. For those of you listening that, that don't know what the Ironman in terms of length is, it's 2.4 fucking miles of swimming followed by 112 miles of biking and then running a marathon after that, which is 26.2 miles. To me, any motherfucker that, that even finishes doing that, it, my hat goes off to. I mean, I, I've never done one. I've done a half um, and it was a dick dragger. But uh, to me, j- just completing one is is a, an enormous uh, accomplishment in, in my opinion. But, uh, again, that's, you know, not something that probably most people would assume that it was before I got good at barbecue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the crazy thing about it was, you know, when I was a kid and my dad did triathlon, I didn't know the distance. I just remember running with my dad and watching him, you know, swim in the river and this sort of thing, but no one did it around me. I just did it on my own. So I went down to do it and I took a buddy with me, my brother and my dad and stepmother, the craziest thing, not to get you on a massive tangent, my dad, re gets into it and just completed Ironman Chattanooga last year at 66 years old. No shit. They, they're in Colorado right now doing halves. Uh, my stepmother has been close to finishing a full couple of times. She's finished multiple halves. Um, my buddy that came in diabetic, you know, six, six, 350 pounds on all sorts of medicine. He gets the bugs. He didn't exercise at all anymore. Gets the bugs so bad. He's completed multiple full Ironman. He's lost over 100 pounds. He's a very highly respected USA triathlon coach. So anyway, it changed all these other people's lives inadvertently, and then I got out of it. (laughs) (laughs) You kick the hornet's nest over and walk away, right? Yeah, on to the next challenge. Yeah, that's fucking cool, man. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the triathlon thing is is wild, no doubt about it. I'm looking at having a guy... Uh, on, I don't know if you've heard of him, the Iron Cowboy is his nickname. Yeah. That uh, did 50 fucking Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. I mean, to me, that's, I don't, I can't even wrap my fucking head I, around No, that. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. I, uh, I'm looking forward to trying to uh, get into his fucking mind and see. I mean, see I've been recovering from my Ironman for nine years now. <laughs> <laughs> still, still on the up. Yeah, no shit. Um, so, you know, once you, you started Meat Church, kind of like where did that come from? Because to me, the, you know, obviously branding and social media is, is a lot of it. And to me, Meat Church is a, is a really brilliant fucking uh, brand and, and marketing theme, uh, especially with, you know, the names of the rubs that coincide with church or gospel or, you know, yeah. uh, religion, generally speaking, I guess. Where did that come from and, and uh, how, how was it born? It's a kind of a cool story, but it's crazy when I look back because what everything we've accomplished, you know, I'm the company like I have my wife helps me, my you know son helps me, but there's no marketing company or anything like that. No one's ever logged into our social media. So sometimes I wake up and I'm like, are, are you a cook? Are you a marketing guy? Are you a business guy? It's like it's kind of kind of interesting. But, you know, to answer your question, um, there's a, a friend of ours in Dallas, Alice Lasad. She's super funny. Um, she tweeted on a Sunday morning. 
she took a picture of a plate of barbecue at Slow Bone in Dallas, and she said, I'm about to have my hashtag meat church. And I laughed. And I, so I screenshot it, you know, no intention, followed away. And then down the road, when we were going to start cooking competition barbecue, I just said, that's kind of a cool name. And I thought it was edgy. And I've always been a firm believer that you can have one foot over the line, maybe not two. So I'm Southern Baptist. Um, you know, my, I thought, man, my family's not going to like it, but I, there was some, I just thought it was an edgy name. Yeah. And then I edgy in the South for sure. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, I thought, like I said, the, when I say the fellowship aspect, like me and you sitting here having food, that the communal aspect, I thought church works with that, right? Not trying to go, don't really mean anything bad by it. So I went with a name and, um, you know, the story about the first rub, holy cow kind of kicks off the story, how the company started. Cause we had the name meat church and we were just competing. So I get this, I make this tryout video for barbecue pit masters. Uh, the barbecue editor at Texas monthly tweets it out and he says, Hey, help my friend at meat church, get on at BBQ Pitmasters." Well, at BBQ Pitmasters on Twitter is the handle of the um, executive producer, John Marcus. So if you replied, John Marcus got a copy of it. <clears throat> well, that tweet didn't exactly go viral, but it blew up. Like all these well-known people in barbecue retweeted it. It was, it was kind of a funny video, I guess, right? And it was halfway professional. I said, it is some damn iPhone video. So uh, the video went nuts and uh, John Marcus DM'd me. I don't know him, never talked to him. Don't even, I probably followed him. DM me, he said, hey man, you got to call off the dogs. Like he was just getting blown up with all his responses. <laughs> and I was like, well, apparently you don't know how Twitter works, but yeah, yeah. Um, they called me and said, you're going to be on the show. So I had, uh, I had three weeks to prepare and drive to Tampa, Florida to shoot it. Well, and I've told the story a million times, but um, one of my, you know, so I took this holy cow and this honey hog rub. Honey hog is our all purpose and it has honey powder in it. Well, you can't go to HEB or whatever grocery store and buy honey powder. So I buy a specialty store. So I go in this place on lunch south of Fort Worth and I was buying five pounds of honey powder. And as the guy was getting my order, I was noticing on the counter there were uh, labels of competitive barbecue products that I recognized. And I just said, hey, you, you make that or something? And he explained to me that he was what's called a co-packer. And I know what the hell a co-packer was. So he said, you know, you give me your recipe and I'll make your rub for you. It sounds like, like a second guy in a threesome, just so you know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got to throw that in there. So that's uh, so I was heading back to the office and called my brother and said, hey, this dude said he could make my rub. And Josh said, well, go do it. And so I called the guy back and I said, make my beef rub and call it Meat Church Holy Cow. That had always been in my head. Yeah. So that is literally, it was born in 10 minutes and that's yeah. where it started. So I took the two on there and we, and we went from there. Like I said, I mean, to me, it's brilliant, not just because it, it kind of fits the narrative being in Texas and, and Southern speaking, but uh, it's just, it's a fucking, it, it's a great idea. No, no two ways about it. Did, uh, did the gal that uh, hashtag that initially give you any shit about stealing her thunder or anything? No. And what's even worse is she's most known now for her charity, which is Meat Fight. And that existed <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And I didn't really think about the relation to it or whatever, but um they're friends of ours. Her husband's an attorney, and he actually gave me some guidance on trademarking Meat Church. And, and as our pay it forward deal, their charity is uh, who we write our big check to every year. Oh, nice. So, oh, that's yeah. fucking cool. That's, uh, you want to talk about that real quick, just what they do? So. Yeah, I mean, it's actually really cool if you're into barbecue or just into helping people. So this deal called Meat Fight is in Dallas. It happens in the fall every year, and the, it's super unique. So the prim it's to fight MS. So the premise is of the big event is they take chefs, not barbecue pit masters. So I would say some of the most well-known badass chefs in Dallas, and they create teams and they 
cook off barbecue against each other. So it's a so fine dining room. chef making brisket, effectively, <clears throat> right? That's fucking badass. But the chefs are all people you would know. And so basically ends up being like a meat circus, a carnivore, you know, a carnival. <laughs> so you go in this building, it's near Love Field, and they've got like midway games and they're all meat themed. And so, and there's, they do this live auction that makes a ton of money. And so they raise a ton of money for MS every yeah. year, but it's, a, you go in, you get to eat all this food, you get drinks. It's, it's badass. Yeah. So there's worse ways to spend a Sunday yeah, night. That's, that's a cool fucking deal. We'll, uh, we'll definitely uh, throw some sort of link in there to, to get people to uh, learn, learn or find out more about it. Um, so once meat church was kind of born, um, can you walk us through the process of how you built it from from where it was at at that point, you know, with your very first rub to, to kind of where it is now? Yeah, I had a few things that I did. So the physical product had black and white labels, uh, and they just in text said what they were. And so I tried to change that pretty quick uh, because I thought it was boring. And, yeah. I, and I walked into a grilling store one day, and I looked at the rub wall, and I was like – everything looks the same to me from 20 feet and you've got to get right up to it to go, Oh, well this is the pecan rub and this is the brisket rub and this is the rib rub. And so there are a fair amount of cartoons in barbecue. So I found a cartoon artist and I asked him to illustrate something for me and we hit it off. So I can, I could text the guy right now. And by the time this is over, he'll have me new designs. He's on, I don't know what he does during the day, <laughs> but, um, so I went with that on a couple of the bottles and just, I'm a guy that likes gray and black and white and, just in what I wear and things. And I thought, you know what, this will be different because I'll tell you up front, one of my number one things is I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm mm -hmm. trying to do my own thing. This yeah. is a super unique brand. Yeah. And so started with that. I thought, well, let's have this eye catchy kind of look. And so that's where the look came from. But then even from a higher level, you know, I wasn't setting out to be the best in competition. I wasn't setting out to open a restaurant. And at that point I wasn't even thinking I was going to be like a barbecue educator, which I am now. It was, I'm just going to do what I'm doing. And, you know, so I was trying to align with some cool partners. So early on, Big Green Egg brought me in because on Pitmasters, I used a pit and an egg. And so I started working with them. I started teaching at their culinary center, which was badass because that totally validated. So now I can say I was on Pitmasters and I teach for Big Green Egg. So you got some credibility, which was key. Obviously, the products, I'm not bragging, but obviously they were good because if somebody bought your rub and they tasted like crap, then they'd move on. I, I rarely hear that people don't like it. So that's that's yeah. been good. It looks different. And then I just started telling people how I, when I look back, I didn't realize this forever, but I was, I was always telling you how to do it. And so I just sat back and thought, all right, I'm marketing to myself, right? I'm sitting at home. I've popped out little kids. I don't get to run around and hunt like I did or, or play hockey or do whatever, right? Whatever my hobby was, I was at home and I had money a little, this time in your life where my demographic is, you know, males 28 to 55, but it's, it's guys that are, They've settled down a little bit. They've got their first house and they think they can cook. And, and so then they I, find out they can't. 100%. <laughs> and they come to me. Uh, but I thought, what, what do I need? And so it was, it was like, okay, how do I kind of paint this big picture? Like, what do I need? If I Okay, well, I have a beef rub and I have an all-purpose rub. What's next? Okay, well, I don't have a hot rub, so let's go do that. And, and that's where I started. I started small. And just trying to fill these little holes and again, do my own thing, not trying to be these other people. And it's, and it's resonated with people. They've latched onto it big time. Yeah, no, I mean, clearly they have, it was there in the five and a half years that you've been going, was there one point where it kind of exploded all of a sudden, or has it been a pretty regular grind? Well, in the, in the beginning, there was a big jump, which, uh, and it's been, it feels like it's been steady since, but I can give you a couple of milestones. So, 
that TV show aired in April of 2014. So clearly a hobby, right? In November of that year, we were at the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving and my wife looked at me and she said, what'd you do? And I said, what do you mean? And so we have apps on our phone that, you know, connected to our website and we were always getting alerts when there was an order. And she was like, well, it was in the morning. And she's like, well, we've got like 35 orders this morning. And I said, well, I, I created an ad on Facebook for our, and I made a demographic and I put $20 behind it. And then I went and looked at Facebook and I, I saw that it was actually working. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. So it, it took off. And so I always tell people that was the first moment that we knew it was some sort, something was there. Like mm-hmm. that was, it was a, it was a sharp jump. Well, what was interesting was I thought it was going to be for the day. Well, every day I kept saying it's going to drop and it, went, it blew through the holidays. And so we went up to like this new level of business. And I'm again, not enough money to make a living, but it was like, this is not just a joke anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was the first spike. Um, the second spike was when I partnered with somebody major. So when, you know, I did a big green egg event and they start, I wrote recipes for them and they would put them on their social. Now suddenly all these eggheads, particularly in the Southeast, um, you know, would start using it. So there was a big spike with that. And then that happened again later when I got on with a new partner, Traeger, you know, you get introduced to this new market and people that you might've isolated. It, it was this cool partner thing. It, it wasn't overt marketing. It was this natural thing of like, oh, I started working with this guy and they started talking about me. And all of a sudden all their audience was like, oh, here's this meat church guy. So there was, you know, the egg thing happened, the Traeger thing happened. Uh, and there were definite spikes that have gone with that. And that's carried through like, you know, this morning I wake up and I've got emails from guys that say, Hey, and I'm not plugging. This is just the truth. They'll say, I'm a, you know, I'm a platinum Traeger dealer in blah, blah state. And all our customers are asking for you because I do content for them and I make videos for them. And and there's no effort on my part. Right. I'm not like we're in 600 stores and I've never picked up the phone and could said, Hey, it's Matt Pittman. You ought to try my rub. Not one time. Yeah. It's all organic. Yeah. I mean, to me, like in the nature of business, I mean, to me that that's how, how it seems to generally work that way is, because I mean, the reality of it is, is life is about authenticity, you know, and, and if, if you're not, or if a product isn't or whatever, people see through that bullshit pretty quick. Yeah. So it might work in the short term, but it doesn't sustain. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, yeah. You're not going to fool anybody more than once. Um, so business wise, is there uh, a couple of things that looking back on in, in terms of your growth that were hard lessons learned that, uh, you know, for advice of somebody, you know, irrespective of what their product may be or service or whatever is that if they're looking to start a business, what are some things that you've learned business wise that were a real kick in the nuts? This one doesn't answer it completely, but I can tell you the number one pain that we've had is that by nature of, you know, it's not like we took a pile of money and said, I need to come up with this brilliant idea and we're going to go do this thing. It evolved from, you know, something that was cool into something, but we didn't always know that we didn't know then what we know now. Right. Yeah. So it's easy to look at revenue now and be like, Oh, well, this has been a viable business for this amount of years. Well, the, the hardest thing is like year two coming on year three, all the time you spend away from your family and, you know, love my wife to death, but her being livid with me because I suddenly quit all my hobbies and this became a hobby. Then it consumed my personal life, um, takes away from your family, takes away from your kids. And, Really, it, it, now it's as easy as saying, well, your hobby was more important than your family. Well, it doesn't look that way now because, okay, it turned into something good. But just the ba- you've got to learn to balance your time, and that's a lot easier said than done. When you have a corporate job, you're given a certain amount of structure, right? you got to be there a certain time. you got to do things every week, every month, every quarter. When you have your own business, if you don't – it sounds cheesy, but you have to have that – you have to come in with that structure or wreck you. Like this, this uh, 
2019 has been my hardest year yet I'm on my own and don't have to answer to anyone and I'm a planner, but, um, you have to take the time to step back and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And here's, I don't, I say, I don't sleep. Like I never do. Right. I work my ass off, but it's either going to kill me or my family in the meantime. Yeah. So it, the biggest lesson is it's, it's, it's easy as easy as planning. Like think like you have a corporate job and every so often you've got to say, okay, here's what we're going to do in this time and compartmentalize it and go do it. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I know, you know, for, for me having been an entrepreneur for a decade now, you know, I couldn't agree more. I know, you know, that's been, uh, unquestionably my biggest challenge is is how to balance all that and for me i think just uh, you know without question that i think the problem or the reason why entrepreneurs get into that situation is because there's no fucking safety net yep you know is is that you don't have the ability to punch the fucking clock and not worry about something because you're the you're the last you. stop you know i mean no matter how many employees you have or, or whatever's going on whether it's one or a thousand uh, is that ultimately like it's your fucking responsibility if, if it fails, you know? And so I know for me, at least that that's what, why it's so hard for me to, to force myself to not think about things or, or work on things or whatever. Uh, and, and having a family also, it, yeah, that's a tough, tough challenge for sure. Where, where do you see this going both, you know, from a goal standpoint and, um, you know, the natural evolution of meat church and in, in, into the future? You know, I had to answer that yesterday, and uh, it was kind of a. Am I not coming up with any fucking original questions? No, so it's just interesting. <laughs> I had a I had an interview yesterday with uh, Texas Monthly Barbecue, and that you know, hey, what's next? And but it's an interesting time to ask that because I let me back up and tell you about this year. But we had an amazing opportunity to open a restaurant. And my, my number one question I always get is, "Where's your restaurant? When's your restaurant?" Because we do these, we go to these dang festivals, barbecue festivals, and we have the longest line, and we're not a restaurant, right? And and I'm talking about longer lines than the people that I look up to. And so it's nonstop. When's your restaurant? Where's your restaurant? Why don't you have a restaurant? I just think it's like people naturally think that's what you're going to do. And um, we spent about three months earlier this year vetting an amazing opportunity. Um, and I can say it now with AT&T in downtown Dallas. So they're putting like almost $200 million into their corporate headquarters to have this like discovery district that just kick-ass place. Top, They want to make it a top three tourist destination. And they were like, here's the keys to the Meat Church restaurant and beer garden. Like how badass does that sound? And it was gorgeous and we vetted it and vetted it and vetted it and you know after the first pitch i went home and and my wife isn't didn't one percent when open a restaurant right she's not wired for me to be gone all the time doing that but we walked out of the pitch and she said we need to consider that because it was unbelievable and the next day I, I didn't sleep that night and she said that was your problem like what, what was wrong with you last night and i said i feel like we left the doctor and he just told us that we're about to have triplets and we've already got four kids, right? Like I ain't yeah. got time for triplets. <laughs> so um, we didn't end up doing it. We passed on it, right? And somebody else will do it, and it'll be amazing. And I'm sure when I go eat there, I'll be jealous that it doesn't say meat church. But going back to what I was saying, trying to do my own thing, I'm I'm keenly focused on this. Like she always says, it's good. You, you, you know, you got these guys on social media sucking you off. She says that to me all the time. Like, <laughs> I don't care. Um, but what what gets me is watching the likes go up that equate to watching transactions and dollars go up. All yeah. I care about is picking up my phone and saying, okay, we've sold X amount today and just watching it go. And um, so, okay, step one, I'm getting to your question, but step one was get out of corporate America and report to myself and be, and be able to take care of my family, right? So we're there. Step two for me is to, I want my family to have the fun things to do, right? We just went to Utah and stayed in this sick condo and I'm looking around going, how much does this cost and how do I get here? And 
we floated uh, the river in New Braunfels this past weekend, and, and she'd look at a house and she was like, "Is that me church money or is that next level money?" <laughs> so I told it to her, her wife to say some shit like that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, my goal is, uh, you know, I, I immediately want to double the size of my business, do organically growing what we're doing. So I can't tell you that we're going to open this restaurant or we're going to do this new venture. I want to add new products because we're a lifestyle brand. We don't just sell a seasoning. We got a ton of swag and whatnot. I want to keep growing what we do so that within the next year we double again. And then I want to double again. And um, we've got these, you know, no different than anybody else. Like next year I need a lake house and I want to pay cash for it. So I, that's the, that's the stuff that drives me. Yeah. And that, so I'm, that's kind of where I'm focused right now. Just growth. Do you, uh, do you have a, like a, a mission statement? Well, I don't have a mission statement. I, I, what my saying is that we barbecue to bring people together to make good memories over great food, but I don't have an internal corporate mission yeah. statement. Yeah. Well, unless it's my age old, you know, work really hard, play even harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Moving kind of into the next phase of, of, of business for you, I guess, in terms of growth. Um, I mean, as it sounds like it's pretty fucking small in house, like, to me, it would only make sense, or, or I guess I'm asking, I mean, is that next level having like a business manager or something like that, that you're turning some of the things over to, to, to grow it where it's not just you doing it? Yeah, it, that's probably, that's my largest current problem that, um, so I spoke with a friend of mine, the CEO of a $400 million company that he contributes to Forbes and he's, I think he's brilliant. And so, you know, we, that goes back to kind of what I said a minute ago, like sometimes people have a business idea and they get a certain amount of money and they go build this thing up and go, this has come like through the family. So, you know, you've got the structure is you've got me that, that leads the company. You've got my son that runs our brick and mortar store, right? You've got uh, him and my brother-in-law who do our online order fulfillment and with another employee. And then I have a partner in a manufacturer who manufactures my product and delivers my wholesale stuff. So I'm able to kind of outsource that to where we're not actually, you know, doing it ourselves. So we have a pretty good setup, but I'm currently inundated by the thing that I haven't talked about, which is my appearance and cooking schedule. So can you be here? Can you do this? There's only one of me. And that's what takes up so much of my time and my personal bandwidth where I need management and help like that. So we're certainly at a beyond a breaking point of needing someone to manage that sort of the business. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, that, that's a necessity, you know, product product versus service-based business, you know, models is that agreed. I mean, to me, you got to have the products, but you also have some, have to have somebody that can facilitate that or, yeah, you'll you'll work yourself into the fucking grave. Uh, before we get into some of kind of like the, the big uh, elements of barbecue, uh, which I have a bunch of different things that I'm curious to get your take on written down. Before we jump into that, I am curious, like from a, a design standpoint, uh, and by design, I mean the, the actual recipes for the rubs. Do you have any classical training uh, culinary wise? Are, are all of these uh, rubs that you have, are they just, well, this is good. Let me throw some of it like, yeah, like, are, do you still do development? How long does it take or has it taken to, you know, to develop? Does it depend if you could talk about the actual design of the rubs, where it comes from and how it all fucking works. That's been really interesting because no, I'm, you know, I don't have any, I didn't grow up being a seasoning guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't grow up being a barbecue guy. So the beef rub came from Texas barbecues, supposedly salt and pepper. Some people put a little other stuff with it. And so my beef rub started out salt and pepper and a guy that helped me said, you know, garlic goes in it well. And so I did that, added paprika for color and boom, that one was done. 
the all-purpose rub, the honey hog, um, I just started with a recipe that I found on Google that was like an a southwestern all-purpose type rub. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the basis of it. And so now I kind of do a couple things. I kind of know where I want to go. So internet's a great place to start just to give you a palette to begin with. And then I know enough about it now that we can tweak and change. And then my manufacturing partner, they have a lot more expertise in seasoning than I do. So they help a lot as well. So I go to my pecan rub, for example. I did the pecan rub because I was looking at my arsenal, what's missing. And someone at a huge store you were at this past weekend said, you know, this pecan rub does really well for us. And I was, was like, it, well, I could go do that. Was it the egg or the John Henry's or uh, what? It was John Henry's. Yeah. It's big in Texas. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, I've gone through God knows how many pounds of that shit over the last I was decade. like, man, I need, I want to compete with that. Yeah. And that was one of the few times I looked at someone and said, I want that. But mine's different. So I took our I took our honey rub and we added a pecan flavoring to it, which I didn't have the expertise to do that. So my manufacturing partner said, well, here's things we can do. And that's kind of how we got there. So now at this point, I look back and I say, all right, what am, what am I trying to do? What do I need to go after? What am I trying to emulate? And um, it, at this point, I know everybody in barbecue now, so you can get no shortage of opinions. But I'm working on a game rub. And that's um, and I've had one for a bit and nothing I've put out. But like by the time the fall runs around, people are hunting. I want to have mine out there. Yeah. And so I'll get one and play with it until I like it. I mean, the R&D part of Meat Church doesn't suck, right? And you get to try yeah. this different stuff. But then I send it to, I usually send stuff out to 20 different buddies and say, tell me what you think. Yeah. That's actually really hard too. Cause I actually, I want them all to tell me they love it. And when they tell me they don't like it, I'm like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you anyway. I'm not sending you any more shit. So you, you've got the main eight. Uh, I know, you know, looking at, at the website, there's some other uh, formulas and stuff. Is there a, a limit to which like you don't want to have more than X number or is it just like, I mean, do you plan on adding a certain number of, of rubs to the arsenal or? So when we started, I was trying to follow the Apple model that they don't have that many SKUs, right? Yeah. And that's where I was focused. But I can tell you some interesting stories. So one I didn't bring you today, our honey bacon, that was supposed to be a limited edition. And so it was a mashup of our bacon rub and our honey rub, and it went gangbusters. And so I thought, well, okay, I need to get rid of it. Try to get rid of it. Consumers said, no, you got to keep it. So I kept it. Well, it's very similar to my bacon rub, and I think it's better than the bacon rub. So I was going to kill the bacon rub. Well, then I have all these people come out of the woodwork saying, no, keep it. So now the bacon rub's a little bit niche. There's a ton of people that love it. There's people that buy it in bulk that put it on fried peanuts and all this craziness. So I haven't gotten rid of it. So there's this quandary of can you have too much stuff? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, I, I think so too. And Because people walk up now to my core set of barbecue rubs and they say what's the difference and 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 you know you say it front well there's overlap with quite a few of these like i have a gospel and a holy gospel another limited edition thing so there certainly is overlap but i like to play with the limited edition thing pull some things in and out you know make rib them a little bit yeah. so actually works out kind of cool i mean we've got a hat right now um we went on vacation recently to Mexico and we created this new hat that's a stained glass window with a pig a cow and a chicken overlaid on each other and we had 50 of them, which doesn't sound like a ton, but I put them on Instagram as I boarded the plane, right? Mm-hmm. By the time we were about to take off, I had an email saying, when are you going to get those hats back in? And I thought, what? And I went and looked, the 50 sold out in 20 minutes. Like, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And so now we've got new ones coming in and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm getting 50 emails a week saying, when is that hat coming back? I'm like, that's kind of cool. This limited edition <laughs> thing is kind of nifty. Yeah, no shit. 
Um, so I don't know what the limit's going to be. Um, yeah. You won't come in and see me with 50. That, that's that's not the goal. I'll probably continue to kind of pull some stuff in and out. You yeah. know, yeah. I think one of my big problems is I try to make people too happy. If one wholesale customer says, no, I really want to keep that. I'm like, oh, well, I got to keep it, which yeah. I know I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the tough parts of business, I think, is, you know, learning when to say no. Uh, you know, understand. I mean, there's a million things you can get into or opportunities. It's which which ones do you pick? Um, you know, and that's that's always the fucking the challenge, I think. But all right, so getting into some kind of the the intricacies of barbecuing uh, as a whole, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know just the the different components of it. Uh, here's how I look at it, and I'm curious to get your take. Is obviously you have the the meat, uh, you have you know the equipment that you're using to uh, to cook it, i.e., just the cooker itself. Um, you've got whatever type of rub, seasoning, injection, brine—you know—we'll just call it seasoning across the board. Then, last but not least, you certainly have the the method that you're using, or you know, the smoke itself, whether it's from pellet or chunks, or you know, an offset stick burner. I mean, whatever it is, is that you know, to me, those are kind of the main components of barbecue, and and I see a lot of parallels actually between barbecuing and dog training in that, you know, a lot of times I, I see people and I'm curious to get your take that are, you know, they'll, they'll take a, a shitty quality piece of meat and try to make up for that in all of those other facets. Mm-hmm. And, and to me that that's the genetics in dog training is that, you know, the genetics of a dog are going to dictate how, how that finished product is going to be. And you're always going to be limited if the genetics are at a low level. I don't care how good of a cook you are or what kind of fucking rub you put on it. I mean, yes, that's going to help, but those are more tweaks than they are if you're dealing with a, you know, a mass produced, uh, you know, meat farm level of, of quality of, of, uh, food. But, you know, from your perspective, um, do you, do you view it kind of that same way in terms of barbecue or, or if somebody said, tell me about fucking barbecue 101, how, how would you describe it? No, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's like that old saying, you can try to put lip, lipstick on the pig basically. But you know, I, one of the things I say up front is to, to end with amazing results, you got to start with amazing ingredients. And so you know, when I teach barbecue, I cover all aspects of everything, meat selection to brining, injecting, seasoning, glazing, how you cook it, whatever. And, you know, the number one thing is my way is not the right way. I say this all the time. It's just what I do. There's no wrong way to do it. You get to choose. So I don't tell you if you have to buy a select graded brisket versus a primer Wagyu brisket. I'm here to tell you the differences so you can make your choice and what your budget or your car will allow you to go get. I'll give you my opinion on the type of wood you should use. And, you know, so I have my, I mean, I sometimes I'm like, man, just go in and tell them your passion, tell them how they need to do it. But I'm more of a wide ranging, like here, here's, here's your different options. But, um, I do, you know, with that said, you don't have to start with the highest grade Wagyu to have good food, but you don't want to start with the crappiest either. Right. So there's a certain, there's a, there's a level you need to start at, but you, you can't start with junk and end up with something amazing. I mean, when I, I go compete in the Houston rodeo this past year, I walked in there with a $250 brisket before I even started. Right. Not a $30 select one that I picked up at Walmart. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, to me, the, that takes a lot of the, uh, the expertise out of the equation. I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, super prime grade or, or Wagyu or something that's so heavily marbled that you almost can't fuck it up. It makes your job a lot easier. Uh, speaking of, of meat, meat quality, different types, I, I would like to talk a little bit about the different cooking styles and which ones lend themselves the best to the different types of primary meats, i.e. beef, 
chicken, pork, and fish. Um, from your perspective, uh, going down that list, um, what is what is you know from a class standpoint when you're teaching and talking about? Can you kind of go through the different types and, and what to, what you look for and, and what people should be looking for? Yeah, for sure. So we start with beef since we're in the beef state, but you know I, I always kind of go with this chart and say at the bottom of the barrel you've got select graded meat, which is generally what you would find at like a Walmart. Avoid that. Um, you know, above that is choice grade and then prime grade. Um, and then you've got the crazier stuff like Wagyu. So I'll come back to that. So between select choice prime beef wise, if you're going to make a brisket or even a steak, I say, try to buy at least choice. So, um, more marbling in it, more taste effectively is the short of it. A choice brisket will make a great brisket. The beauty of living in Texas is prime brisket doesn't cost that much more. So people run down to Costco and pay, I think like three thirty nine a pound for brisket right now. Go to your grocery store. That may be what you're paying for choice, or it might be $5 difference for the whole brisket. So, you know, if you can afford it buy the prime, but choice is just fine. The number one barbecue joint on the Texas monthly top 50 list does not cook prime. So obviously it makes good brisket. Is that Franklin? Uh, no, or, he's number two right now. Snows in Lexington only open on uh, only open on Saturdays. Yeah, sure. yeah. they knocked him off the top. Yeah, huh? at least temporarily. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do you know uh, Franklin very well? Yeah, yeah, I know Aaron. He's a super good dude. So yeah. a little quirky, but good yeah. dude. So and then you know I think one thing that's interesting right now is it's like all the marketing and food in general. You know, you go in the grocery store and there's all this organic this or that and all natural and. I swear a bunch of moms feel like you have to buy all organic or your kid's going to grow up deformed or something. But beef is kind of the same way. Like now I'll go in my grocery store in HEB and there'll be Wagyu in there every now and then. And people think when they see that, like, oh, that's going to be better. Well, there are different grades of Wagyu or percentages and they don't, you know, you don't know what that is. So real world example, right now, a prime brisket at my grocery store is about $50, $55. The Wagyu's 100. So at a recent class, I love to I love to mess with people and not tell them I'm going to do it. Had 40 people in a class, and I could, I need two briskets to feed 40 people. I cooked a prime and cooked that Wagyu. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't tell them that. So when we went to serve it, you get a boat, and I said, there's a meat church flag, toothpick flag, and one slice, and, and the other's not. So there's a little difference. We'll tell you what it is later. Just tell us which one you prefer. 10 people preferred the one with the flag, which was prime and 30 people preferred the Wagyu. So, you know, 25%. And I said, all right, would those 30 of you that raised your hand say that that slice was twice as good as a slice next to it? Like, no, 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 just like barely, like I barely preferred it. And I said, well, okay, well, if the brisket with the flag was 50 bucks and it was a hundred, would you pay a hundred to a man? They all said no. So then I walked through the market. I, I just think it's interesting. I said, all right, so if you walked in the grocery store, now I'm telling you what we did would you now knowing what you know would you buy that hundred dollar one and they all said no okay but yet when i go compete the houston rodeo i buy this snake river gold 250 that's that's a higher grade of wagyu so you don't know what you're getting just because it says it's wagyu doesn't mean that it's like necessarily better yeah i'll tell you, you definitely should not cook <coughs> wagyu briskets for like a high school graduation party because they don't <laughs> high school kids don't give a crap yeah no shit. so anyway i think that's that's um that's kind of my beef lesson talking about the other meats pork Pork and chicken, I cook more of a commodity, what I call a commodity product there. So it's hard to go wrong in the grocery stores and here, you know, right now on the pork side, different times of year, you get different brands, but like ribs and pork shoulder, there's a lot of good brands out there. I use uh, Prairie Fresh Seaboard products when I can. Uh, Smithfield makes good products. IBP makes good products. I don't buy anything crazy. 
if I'm buying like a pork chop for my family, I'd love to buy like a Berkshire pork chop because the taste is just so much different. But most people, when you're just doing like normal competitions thing, they're buying a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pork in general seems like there's a lot more, uh, forgiveness with it, you know, or, or there's a lot less nuance in terms of quality. Cause I've certainly, I mean, I, I have tried, you know, Curaboda for, you know, from yeah. Creekstone that the one fucking rack of ribs is about five or six racks out of a grocery store. And same thing, like in my opinion, uh, which isn't worth much, you know, there's, there's not a big enough difference to, to distinguish, especially with pork, because it is such a, a different meat than beef, uh, that way. But do you mess much with uh, chicken and fish? Yeah. So, you know, I cook a fair amount of chicken. Um, I try to, I do try to buy these like all natural chickens cause that's not a big price difference. Yeah. You know, my grocery store, it's marginal. So, and so that's not a big deal, but yeah, I, I cook a lot of chicken. Um, I love to cook fish. I'm the only one in my house that loves it. So I'll, I'm a guy that'll fire up the grill and say, all right, grill's on. I'm having fish. What do you want? And you yeah. can have, you know, your pork chop or chicken or whatever people yeah. in barbecue, like consumers are afraid of fish. Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Because they don't know how to cook it. They're yeah. afraid it'll stick or they'll mess it up. It's kind of like game. And so yeah. if I ever say, hey, next class, what would y'all like to see? Um, I get fish asked more often than not. Oh, shit. Yeah. I know one of the things I like to do, uh, well, first question, when you say you fire up the grill, what is that? Are you talking gas grill or, or you always fire up an egg or what? Never a gas grill. Yeah. I, I, you know, I told you a minute ago that my way wasn't the right way. My way is the right way with this. Gas grill is not the right way. <laughs> yeah. I'd, anytime somebody cooks with a gas grill, I'll say, what flavor of gas are you grilling with? Today? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's some good mercaptain you got there and the fucking <laughs> infused into the meat. So I'm, it's pretty well documented that I'm a, I'm Traeger's barbecue guy. So I, I have a Traeger, yeah. lots of Traeger. I have, I have, first off, I have every grill and smoker known to man, you know, have big green eggs, um, have a pit barrel, have a Weber, have offset stick burners, have open fire grills. You know, I always tell people, I don't care what you cook on, right? You, you do you. And, and I think what you use depends on your life. Like some people are super busy and they don't have time to mess with it. Some people love like a Kamado Joe or big green egg where you, you've got to manually adjust the temperature and it's all, it's whatever you like, right? I'm, yeah. I'm down with all of it. I started using a Traeger a lot more because I was so busy and I'd, I'd commuted an hour. I'd come home and I could turn it on and I could go in and hang out with the family, come back out and have a good wood flavor, smoky flavor food versus like, you know, throwing chicken on a gas grill. Yeah. So it's, it's easy and tastes really good. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I, you know, the, the one exception I make, uh, gas wise is, uh, the super hot top down, almost like a salamander that gets, you know, yeah. 1500 oh, yeah, yeah. degrees. Like to me, to, 
to reverse sear a you know a, a big tomahawk or fucking anything frankly you know smoke it low for an hour hour and a half and then give it a super hot fucking sear yeah. on something like that is a really nice mix but oh, i love it and all these people like these beefers that are out 1500 degrees auto wilds where you just stick the yeah. meat in there it's like i'm down with that for yeah. sure yeah i, I have a, an auto wild they sent one uh, to try and I, I i honestly was not expecting to like it as much as i do yeah it's pretty uh, rad yeah it's a it's a bad little motherfucker but i grew up similarly like my uh, idea of barbecue was you know bone dry fucking chicken breasts and, and hamburgers on a, well done on a shitty gas grill <laughs> yeah. uh it wasn't until i i moved here uh, and i think it was mostly ego honestly is that i moved here didn't know shit about anything barbecue wise and you know guys that grew up here whatever would you know just cook boudin or uh fucking pork tenderloins or fucking briskets or you know pulled pork or whatever and i was like this motherfucker made that like if this backwoods inbred fuck can do this like i ought to be able to it. figure it out yeah of course it took a few years of fucking a lot of things up to figure it out but um the one thing i was going to say on the fish i i do like to use um uh sea like chilean sea bass uh like on a on a salt block in a, mm -hmm. in a primo or, or an egg any type of smoker to me i i love making fish and in making that that combination but uh, do you mess with uh, with like the Himalayan salt blocks much for making things? Or I've got one. I didn't get into it a whole lot, but um, I, I, like you said, things like uh, fish. I love putting scallops on it, yeah. that sort of thing. That's that's kind of the extent of what I've done on it. Yeah. Uh, someone gave me one as a gift uh, years ago, and so that's what I use it for. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on to uh, you know wood specific. Speaking of brisket, because that's such a big ticket item, and, and for me, I'll be the first to admit that's the hardest thing for me to to not fuck up. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got Franklin's book. I've watched God knows how many tutorials and tried you know a lot of different ways. For me, I I, I still continue to struggle with uh, consistency on it. Some of them turn out really well, and a lot of them don't. Um, you know, and that's an expensive one doing it. You know, two seventy five on on a good fucking Yoder you know pellet smoker you know, waiting until there's good bark and right, you know, right around the stall, you know, 160, 170 rapid and fucking butcher block brown paper. And, and sometimes they turn out great and sometimes they fucking suck. Do you, do you have the same struggle with brisket specifically? No, all my briskets are perfect. They're all perfect. No shit. Go figure. <laughs> Wait, I told you one yeah. was bad earlier. Yeah. In life. yeah. That's a common question. Um, you know, when I give a brisket talk, I tell people like, look, if it's so first off, we're in Texas and people go buy a smoker or a grill, you know, first thing I want to do is make a brisket. And I'm always like, slow down. Yeah. Like, why don't you try chicken? But yeah. you know, you bought it to make a brisket. So let's go for it. People ask me all the time, how did you get the bark that dark? And how are you doing that? And that's, you know, I teach it. If you go buy a 15 pound brisket, trim a couple pounds out of it, you're left 12, 13 pound brisket. I, my recipes online in my books are 275. That's going to take you about 10 hours to cook. So I teach that method. Here's your 10-hour easy way. And the reason I teach that is I say, this is a typical Saturday cook, right? Mm -hmm. Most of you are interested. You're cool with cooking for 10 hours. Don't go buy a 22-pound brisket because then you're going to be cooking that thing all day and half the night. So that's usually what I teach. But then I say, you know, it's not the only way to do it. You can you can, um, you can can slow your cook down if you need to. I'm, I'm about One of my videos I'm about to come out with is uh, I did this 21-hour brisket. And it's not that the 21-hour brisket is magical. It's that I put it on a pellet grill at night low to a temperature where it won't, won't finish, like 190, and just let it ride while I'm asleep. Get up, take my kids to school, come home, wrap it up, put a temperature probe in it, go to the office, monitor it from my phone, and, you know, have it done by the time you get home. Bump it up around lunch, and it finishes by the time you get home. But so there's all different ways to do it. With all that said, you know, all my talks lately are people are like, well, 
the Texas way is a wrap in paper. Can I, should I wrap in that or should I wrap in foil? And so I back up and say this, if you, if you're struggling with brisket and you're having a hard time, then go with the foolproof way, which is put it in the smoker. I like it to be fat up to kind of the Texas way and don't touch it, right? Whatever your temperature is, 225, 250, 275, and just let it ride. And when you start to develop that bark and that brisket's about 165 degrees internal temperature, wrap it. And before you jump to paper, you can either wrap it in two pieces of heavy duty aluminum foil or one way that's really good, get a full length uh, disposable pan like you'd get at Sam's or Costco, mm-hmm. lay the brisket in it and cover that pan with foil. Either that or the heavy duty foil, you'll capture all the jus that comes out of the brisket. So now you're guaranteed you're not going to dry it out. Um you are crutching it with the foil and steaming it. So the bark will not stay as great as if you wrapped it in paper, but we'll, you know, and then I tell people super important, don't pull it till it's done, which is probe tender. So you're going to probe that brisket in the flat. And in the one nineties, you have to work to push your thermometer in. But when you get just over 200, it's suddenly going to give and you just, you know, there's no resistance. That's when the brisket's done, pull it off, let it rest in a cooler for at least an hour. Now you're going to have a super juicy brisket. The bark may not be amazing. It's going to taste great. Your family's going to love it. And then you can start to graduate into, okay, my confidence is back. That brisket's awesome. Now I'm going to wrap one in paper, right? Don't go too hot with it. Maybe wrap in butcher paper around 165 and kind of baby it till it gets to 203 and and see how you like that. So So I guess the the burning question uh, from my perspective is, you know, where does um like from from the split of point and flat for those of you listening most people that are still listening to this interview probably already know at least some of the the specifics of this but where i struggle with i guess um is you know when the flat's done the point's not quite and then if you wait till the point's done then now your, your flat's a little dry is there any credence to cutting it at that point when it's so I cook them whole, even if I'm, uh, even if I'm making Kansas city burn ends out of the point meat, I like to keep the two muscles together. So the whole packer flat and a point, like you said, trimmed down really good. I, I cook it whole. I only monitor the temperature in the flat. I don't ever mess with the point. I'm right in the heart of the flat. So kind of the thickest part of the flat or the middle of the flat is really where I probe and check. And so I'm just, that's what I'm monitoring. And I know as soon as that gives and it's tender, I'm okay with the point because the point will be at a higher temperature and it's okay. I don't, I think people sometimes mess up because they temp the point. So the point has a lot more fat in it. Um, It's going to go to a higher temperature and then they don't pay attention to the flat and that's what screws them up. So I just focus right in the middle of the flat and and I'm good. Do you uh, typically use a, like a thermopen instant or, or do you, do you ever leave one in? Yeah, so I use it's exactly what I use. I use uh, Thermapen uh, to check my temperature. But if you have a smoker that has, or w- whether it has a built-in what I call leave-in thermometer, so you know some grills have probes, or if you go buy like Thermawork sells standalone smokes or blue dots, whatever, I take those leave-in probes and I put them in the heart of the flat. And to me, that's just like your guidance, but they're not as precise as the Thermapen. So let's use a Traeger example. They have a thermometer that comes with them, a meat thermometer. I say, look, a thermopin's a hundred bucks, the instant meat thermometer. The the thermometer that comes with these grills like a Traeger aren't hundred dollar thermometers. So they're close, but they're not as accurate. So what I do is I put them, I'll put that in a brisket in the flat and I'll set an alarm for like 190 degrees. And at that point I start checking it with my thermopin. So yeah. that's like my 
gospel. Yeah. Are you typically rapping at 165 in Butcher Block? Yeah. 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 So is it uh, a natural or safe assumption to say middle middle of the flat with a leave-in thermometer? And, and is there a brand you can recommend? So I, Thermoworks is what I use. And the reason I use it is, uh, I, I mean, I sell them in my store, but it's because I think it's industry leader. They they read, you know, instant reads read in two to three seconds. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing better. I, ha- I have a, a thermo pen. I don't have a leave-in one. I've never really messed with it. But I, So they weren't really my thing because I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if it's that I'm ADD and I'm always checking things. I rarely use those. So the video I just cut, I use one in there because a lot of people, my customers, they use them. Well, here's what happened. I made a brisket video with somebody with just my thermometer and somebody commented, well, somebody tell this guy that there's a thermometer with the grill. And I wrote back, well, there's one with it. It's not as accurate. <laughs> yeah. um, it's all the experts out there, but yeah. yeah th- uh, Thermowork, if you, you should check the Thermoworks smoke. That's a really good one. Yeah. Okay. So leave that in and it hits 165 or so provided the bark looks good. Slap some, uh, fucking butcher block paper around it and when it hits 190 you start hitting it with the thermopen you yep. get a little over 200 and it should be good to go yeah and i just run I, if you have that probe i just run it through the paper or the foil into it right and then when i'm going to check it in the 190s with my thermopen i'm just going right through the paper or foil yeah. no big deal don't open it up or anything like that way that we can check it really quick yeah you know i'd say look at 195 190 195 you're going to work with that thermometer to push it into the meat but when you get, to, it's usually 203 of the brisket. All briskets are different, but around 203, you'll push it in and it's just like, it's like there's nothing butter. there. Yeah, it's yeah. like a knife and butter. Um, and then pull it off. And I say, put it over in a Yeti, let it sit for at least an hour. But man, I mean, my brisket will hold in a cooler for like four or five hours. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've tried a lot of different methods. I mean, I've finished it in an, in an oven once yeah. I've wrapped it because to me at that it's point, it's thing. not taking any more smoke. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to admit that, but. Yeah, you could take the brisket off your smoker and put it in your oven at yeah. 210, 225, and it's the same thing. Yeah, I, I do it just to conserve pellets and, and uh, you know, again, because it's, it's, it's inside, it's a little easier to monitor, I guess. But, and uh, make your house smell amazing. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, damn sure that's good advice. Um, now moving on to, uh, well, first, do you always use holy cow for briskets or do you ever mix it up? That's my primary. But what I've been doing lately in 2019 is I, I kind of go two to one with holy cow to the holy gospel. So I heavy layer, I mean, it's probably 65, 70% holy cow. And then I top it with this holy gospel. Yeah. And that's what I did at the Houston rodeo this year that got a seventh in the world. So I know it's tried and true. Yeah. No, that's fucking great. Um, all right, so moving on to the different types of wood, and, and I'll, I'll kind of lump in the types, uh, both in real stick burner wood uh, and pellet. But, you know, if you could, I mean, what is your take, I guess? Um, is there a, a noticeable enough difference, in your opinion, going from real chunks of wood comparatively to um, pellet smokers to make it worth the fucking pain in the ass that it is? Yeah, no. So I don't, and then this is, this is I'm, what I'm about to say is 110% true. So when I had to, when I decided to align with a pellet grill company, that took gigantic soul searching, yeah. right? Because I'm offset, wood meat fire, Kamado, you know, lump charcoal, no electronics, no gimmicks. I used to say my cooking style is really primitive. And so I say this up front, if the Traegers didn't make good enough barbecue or whatever you choose to use, right? Yoda or whatever. If if the one that I was aligning with didn't make good enough barbecue, it would have been a it would have been bad for business, and I yeah. wouldn't have done it. 
no one ever comes to my events. I mean, I ask them, I, I'll give, I'll give brisket smoked on a pit and brisket smoked on a Traeger. And I'll say, can you tell the difference? Cause it's a common misnomer for people that use older pellet grills and say, Oh, they're not smoky enough. And do you have to put like a smoke tube in there to supplement it? No. Yeah. Um, and I like smoke, like I like it heavier than most. Um, and I deal with, you know, I've got family females in a family that don't like a lot of smoke or, or whatever. I, on the other hand, like smoke on everything. So I, you know, and I use it, but thing is I use heavier, what I call smoke woods or pellets. So I'm not using the sissy fruit stuff. Like I, I'm using hickory the, and mesquite. And shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm going to use a, and we can walk through the, what I think the differences are, but like hickory, mesquite, oak, definitely oak, Texas beef. You know, I'm using the big ones. Yeah. I'm not using light stuff. I only use light stuff if I'm doing, I don't know, curing bacon or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the fruitier woods, uh, you know, peach, cherry, fucking whatever, apple are, are all good for pork and, and things like that but i i do like to use cherry on uh, on beef sometimes cherry and pecan is a nice mix i i think but yeah for for me and and this is probably more you know personal preference than than all of the rest of the things you talk about uh is is exactly that is the is the smoke i mean for me i i like a little lighter smoke flavor to me you know heavy mesquite like a pecan lodge as an example like i, yeah. I think their quality of meat is fantastic their method is is impeccable for me the as because i think they use exclusively mesquite like to me it's just a little fucking strong and bitter for me but that's just my take but um that might be the barbecue joint that doesn't need to be ranked as high as it used to be yeah yeah i mean i've eaten there a a few times and it's good uh but again like to me the the heavy mesquite is just a little too heavy for my taste but all right so obviously you know the uh pellet smoker is is um good enough to to fool people talking about the different types of pellet smokers i know you know you can go traeger or uh you know some of the was it grill tech or uh, direct tech direct tech um you know the different brands that are on the more budget friendly uh from from that standpoint all the way up to you know the several thousand dollar yoder or things like that do you think similarly like are people going to be able to tell the difference between you know bottom of the barrel versus super high end yeah i mean i think there's ones you've got to look at and there's ones that i would stay away from and you know it's i have to get credibility here because some people just think well you're aligned with once you're going to pick them but um there's big differences i mean so you don't have to use a traeger traeger invented the category 32 years ago and when their patent expired other people like pit boss and others jumped on and went out and knocked it off and made them um you know you can make good barbecue on all of them i don't think you're going to get one off one and be like that's not good what what the issues that come up are the reliability of things so you know i don't I, again i don't get to tell people how what their budget can afford but i can tell you that all my friends that have gone not all my friends several of my friends that have bought cheaper models they go to walmart and they buy a pit boss more times than none they end up with me ultimately trying to buy a traeger but like you said there's some really high end ones yoder yoder makes a fantastic heavy duty product if your budget you know um, can't afford it but to me it just comes down to the reliability the unit the construction everything that comes with it so and not to be cheesy again but um, i tell people i'm not you know i'm not selling just a seizing it's more of an experience and and the reason i align with traeger is their community and they you know they've got like an amazing app even if you don't ever want to get a pellet grill um, download the app because the recipes a bunch of mine are in there super good recipes the things that kind of come with it are, are kind of good but yeah. there are certain brands i would look at and certain brands that the cheapest of ones i don't think operate as good yeah that's no, certainly a fair point i know uh you know i've got uh, yoder ys640 out front that i've had a long time it's it's had a lot of miles put on it i have had a couple of issues with um 
the the in the internal thermometer going bad it's, it's happened twice actually where we've had to replace it to where it, it wouldn't work you know basically it was, it was not reading and, and wouldn't fire up because of it uh other than that it's it's been great i also have a, a smoking brothers which is much more middle of the road mm-hmm. uh that, that i've had really good results with also i am curious pellets um there are a lot of different pellet manufacturers some of them are you know legitimately 100 percent wood most of them are, are mixed some of them are mostly bullshit yeah is there uh, a brand um that you particularly prefer uh, or recommend well i tell people if somebody listen to this take your pellets and drop them in a glass of water and make sure it dissolves into nothing that'll tell you if it's 100 percent or not so mm-hmm. if there's ever anything left then that's somebody pulling the wool over your eyes so you got to find one that you like and that's consistent um you know, again, I'm aligned with one because they're, they're given to me, but that, that you know, this company and Traeger owns their own mills, so they know what it is. Some other people buy from other people. B&B makes a good product. I think the Lumberjack stuff's pretty good. And I haven't run through, like, all sorts of different brands just because I, I get them. But I, like I said up front, drop your pellets in a glass of water and make sure they completely dissolve because yeah. a, a real 100% wood pellet, they're bound together by the heat process. There's nothing at – you don't need to add anything to it to make the pellet form. Yeah. So that will tell you if there's some – junk in there and all yeah. when you are using your pellets uh can you just we'll say brisket um pork shoulder and ribs those three things what uh, what pellets are you using so with beef texas barbecues cooked with post oak so like on my offsets i'm running s- splits of post oak so i um i like oak pellets that's that's just a real texas flavor pork um i like hickory i think you know, smokiness is like oak and probably mesquite beside it. I don't, I don't really prefer mesquite. Kind of like you said, it's got a distinct flavor and it runs a little hot. So I usually stick with oak if I want really, really smoky coming down the chain. Hickory's less smoky. Um, I always say if you can only buy one wood or pellet, hickory is a great all purpose. And that's what I grew up on South. So I'm down with that a little less smoky's pecan. Great choice. And I'm real particular about telling you like this will make the best, but here's others that you could use, you know? So I kind of stay in the heavier, harder type stuff like that is kind of the range that I stay in. Yeah. Up up here, there's a lot of uh, red oak, not, not as much post oak. So I've I've used a lot of red oak, not pellets, but the real shit. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It works, works pretty well. But, um, is there any brands that you'd say stay away from, um, in terms of, you already kind of mentioned the pellet, uh, pellet grills, but, uh, any pellet brands that you'd say for sure, I know that, uh, that this shit's, you know, half, half bullshit or, or otherwise. Not really, but I'm just admitting because I don't use too much other stuff. Like yeah. I've got limited experience in other stuff. Cause once I got in this game, I kind of, you know, I get yeah. my stuff being honest. So are you, are you I, and I'm not, I'm not hearing from other people like, oh, these suck. You yeah. know, I just don't, I just don't know. Yeah. So you're typically using the Traeger brand yeah, of pellets. because they then. give it to me. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, the Fruita Wood Company out of Colorado? Mm. Yeah. So they, uh, in terms of real wood, I've ordered their stuff a number of times and, and it, it's the best stuff I've ever come across. Super fresh and you can order fucking everything. I mean, they have mm. grape and fucking like lime wood. I mean, all, all sorts no of obscure shit that stuff that you you can't typically get and it's super fresh i mean they send it to you like overnight and and have all of these storage conditions to keep it fresh and whatever i mean i've i've gotten peach and lemon and uh you know different types of cherry and i mean yeah there's a lot of a lot of good stuff i mean i've got some huge wood stacks uh next to my house so i've got no shortage of like it's a cool thing about business people like hey man i'm cut this down and brought it to you so i have some obscure fruit woods that people have brought to me and anyway 
I've got some uh, some old railroad ties I can <laughs> get rid of for you. All right, so in terms of, we've talked a little bit about uh, cookers already, but I wanted to get into uh, a, a little bit more, uh, most specifically on the charcoal side. Uh, obviously, we went over the gas stuff. And we've talked about pellets and, and stick burners. But in terms of the charcoal grills itself, uh, you mentioned lump. Have you ever tried the, uh, the I think it's called bento-chan, like that little Japanese real small stuff and and if if you could kind of give us the brief rundown on your uh your uh, advice as it relates to uh charcoal lump or otherwise yes i have not used that um i just use lump and so you know to educate people if you go like when you grew up and you're you got had match light or whatever a, a lot of briquettes not all briquettes but a lot of briquettes have a lot of artificial stuff in them binders and whatnot um, and then you use lighter fluid to light it, right? And so when I got into cooking with a Kamado, I used lump charcoal, which is derived from actual wood, right? It's it's all wood. So I liked not having to have any additive as a starter because that stuff lingers, like you taste that. So I, I mean, it's just like building a campfire, right? So that's that's what I prefer, and I just think the taste is better. I love lump charcoal, um, love it to this day, use it to this day, you know, did a backyard cookout two weekends ago that I think the grill was running like 1100 degrees and I lost 10 pounds grilling hamburgers in front of it. But <laughs> lump charcoal is the way to go. Um, I keep, I have tons of, I've got like a pallet of it, you yeah. know, at my house. Um, a lot of good brands out there and you know, they come in the wood flavor, right? You got oak hickory. I don't think it matters as much in a lump. Um, I use Big Green Egg forever. Um, I mentioned B&B, another really good one, Western Wood, uh, Fogo. Fogo's the new hot one in the market right now that yeah, everyone's I, talking about. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I, I prefer the black bag over the yellow bag Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I've gotten a number of yellow bags, and I'm out there with a fucking sledgehammer. Huge. Trying to, yeah. It's like if, yeah, yeah. If, if I had a you know a 55 or a thousand gallon drum you know size fucking thing but uh yeah i, I like the fogo yeah we on. sell the black one in our store because the the yellow bag it worked for certain people but they're huge yeah. you know, they're too big the black ones are big enough like yeah. they're they're better than others but yeah yep absolutely um do you fuck around with hibachi at all no like that style but not something that i'm doing yeah really uh i am curious about grilling surface right is it um to me, I, I'm I'm probably more particular than most people. I like whether it's expanded steel or like that the hibachi thin, you know, mesh wire mm -hmm. kind of uh, surface, or just the the standard almost like ceramic piping. Do you have a, a preference? Do you think it makes that big of a difference? What, what's your take on on the actual surface itself? I think it makes a huge difference, and I have a lot of different things, so I can talk about that. But that's a really interesting question because I think people jump in this game they don't think anything about that they're just mm -hmm. like oh it's a grill there's a grill grate right whatever yeah. it is but it could be a porcelain grate it could be a stainless grate it could be a cast iron grate it could be bars it could be solid surface i think absolutely huge difference so and where it comes in for me the mallard reaction that occurs with meat on that hot metal so think about when you take you know let's just say a steak for example and you put it on a grill grate of whatever sort the bars or expanded metal so the marks that those leave on the meat um there's flavor in that right and and again there, there's a we're not trying to burn the meat but we're trying to add that flavor i i think those bars are you know we kind of call them flavor bars and there's something to that so i like cast iron i love cast iron grates they're hard to maintain you got to make sure they're dry and oiled and so they don't rust 
Um, but let's go back to change the subject slightly. I love cooking on cast iron in general. I'm like a geek, old vintage cast iron collector. So I cook everything in cast iron skillets that I can. No different on your cook surface, right? If you love these these Griswold cast iron pans from the 30s, then why not have a grill grate that's the same thing? So I love cast iron grates if you can get those and maintain them properly. And I talk a lot about that when we when we go to sear. So you talk about reverse searing. So I'd love to smoke a steak and then take it and sear it at the end. Well, I'll take my cast iron skillet and put it on the grate, make it piping hot so I can get that like full coverage sear. So those bars, back to your question, you know, the type of grate you have, depending how far apart they are, what they're made of, um, those are going to add flavor to that thing you're cooking. And so I want the most coverage I can get generally and want them super hot. So, um, you know, on, on cheaper grills, they just have these like porcelain grates that are just okay. You go to higher end ones, they have stainless. I got a, I have a two by five standalone Santa Maria grill, the whole thing stainless. Um, and the bars are pretty close together for, for that exact reason. Third party product grill grates. A lot of people know of they're out of Georgia are made out of anodized aluminum um, you can set those on top of any you can put them on a an egg a weber a pellet grill or whatever the hell. campfire if you want yep and they're flat on one side and they're they're i don't know an inch tall raised on the other and so they do a lot of things to unplug these guys because it's a badass product but the little channels in between the grill grates will capture like a heavy marinade but the top of the metal on these grill grates is 150 degrees higher than the bottom. So if you had a 500 degree egg and you put these grill grates on it, the top of the grill grate would be 650. <laughs> so when you see people have these like gorgeous diamonds on their steaks yeah. in like steak competitions, they're putting them on grill grates. Yeah. What's the name of that company? It's Grill Grate. Uh, so Grate is in G-R-A-T-E. So they're out of uh, out of Georgia. Just um, grillgrate.com? Grill Grate, yep. I have tons of sets of those. You know, they're around $50. And I have them for just about every grill that I have. And so if you put those on a super hot grill and you lay a steak down for, I don't know, three minutes and then you rotate it 90 degrees, do another three minutes or however long you're doing it. When you pick it up, that's when you're going to have the perfect diamonds. Yeah. Okay. And, the, and there's flavor in that. I mean, big yeah, time. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. I mean, to me, there, there's something about uh, just having a, a nice small uh, grill grate that like if, especially if I'm camping, you know, where you got a good, a good fire going and get, you know, have a small uh, fire shovel and just, you know, shovel a big pile of coals yep. and put a, a good grill grate, you know, I'll, like I'll, I'll take two bricks with me and a little fucking grill grate camping and, and make shit on there. I mean, to me, that that's as good a flavor as, as you can find, but I'm always looking for little high end fucking grill grates that you can take with you and, and just throw over a fucking pile of coals to do that would you say that that's probably the best company to get something like that yeah for? those are really good i mean i wouldn't be opposed to getting a, a small grill grate like you said and even putting those those would sit right on top of something they so they interlock they're usually about three pieces and they slide together so um depending on what you're putting it on you may need a surface to hold them flat so you might still need that actual cheaper grate and then yeah. put them on top of it um, you know, another good option is people take charcoal chimneys, load them up with charcoal, yeah. and just put that grate right on on top of that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen people do that. I, uh, I I've not. Well, I guess I have tried that once, but it was uh, it, it fucking didn't turn out very well. I ended up knocking shit over and whatever. To me, the <laughs> you can't go wrong by putting two fucking bricks on the ground, you know, two agree. two fire bricks, and throwing a little grate over the top of it with with a pile of coals between them. But well, uh, you know, another thing we didn't add was a, a plancha top. So. I've got a I've got a mill scale grill in production right now that's just a it's a standalone basically metal frame of charcoal and then you put all these different grilling surfaces on it and so just to kind of prove my point about liking different things I I have 
an entire grill grate being built for it. I have two half grill grates being built. I have two half planches, two full planches. So I love having the solid surface, you know, smashing burgers on it. And yeah. So well, like, like, uh, do you have a griddle also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a built in blaze flat top. I'm outdoor kitchen. So, um, you know, we can short order cook breakfast on yeah. it, or I can smash burgers or sear steak on it or whatever. Yeah. I'm gonna want to be, uh, uh, waffle house cook. <laughs> That's fucking great. Um, is, is there a surface uh, or a grill grate that, uh, you know, that, that's basically kind of a, the worst option in terms of adding flavor or, be, or being effective? The thin stuff. So I hate the really thin, cheap metal. You're going to end up burning through it. You, you People end up rusting them and they, you know, uh, don't clean it right and it, your food tastes like shit. And yeah, yeah, okay. Invest so a little money and get something sturdy. Yeah, amen. Um, all right, so uh, we've kind of gone over a lot of the uh, – specifics in terms of what what you're cooking with uh, charcoal wood etc talk a little bit about your outdoor kitchen can you walk us through your your outdoor kitchen and, and kind of what what you recommend people to have if they want to get into it um it's not fair my outdoor kitchen's pretty badass yeah. do you have pictures of it on your uh, um, uh on your social media i'll have to throw some up for you i do but they're they're Way back, the back a little yeah. bit yeah so we moved in this house we we built a or we bought a house that was built in 1896 plantation style looking house and fucking haunted or what 100 <laughs> percent. i don't believe in ghosts and there's there's stuff i can't explain in that on. house yeah yeah there's stuff going they don't mess with the outdoor kitchen though they're all contained inside yeah. but you know i i had this idea that i wanted to build what i keep calling a teaching kitchen like i live in waxahachie i don't live in dallas proper and how could i convince you to come all the way to waxahachie and so I um, got referred to a builder that built me um, a really rustic, you know, stone, huge, oversized cedar beam kitchen. So it's uh, two walls are solid, stone, floor to ground, the rest is open. And inside of it I have, um, so I have a stoned in five foot offset stick burner. I have a five foot Santa Maria that we talked about. That's the island. Um I have, uh, originally I had cutouts for big green eggs. Then when I changed partners, I changed that out, but I have slots for eggs. I have the blaze flat top we mentioned. I have a Lynx Napoli oven. It's like a $5,000 pizza oven, basically. Do you use that much? I, not as much, not $5,000 worth yeah. at all. Like it's really cool. Like if you come over and we have like a little pizza party, cool, but it takes, you know, it, luckily it's not huge, but it's what gets used the least. Although it is badass, it's just a super niche cooker. Does it not? I mean, it, I'm assuming it would. Like that's one of those labor intensive getting it to where you can use it to cook is is why it doesn't get used a lot. Does it take a while to get? No. It? Well, so it looks like like you see these people that have these brick dome pizza ovens and they have fire and like oh that's really cool. Well, this thing has burners on the side and so it'll get to temp pretty quick. But it's like it's an oven which okay at the end of the day smokers are ovens right. right? So I've got 30 other ovens that are bigger and more usable. So how often do we make pizza? And yeah. I can put I can put a cast iron skillet. I can make biscuits, cinnamon rolls. I've put steak in it. Um, you know, I can do other things with it, but it it's just it's just kind of small. I I wouldn't go spend five thousand dollars. I love it, and I'm not bashing. It's amazing. I just don't use it that much. Yeah. Uh, speaking of cast iron, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you: is uh, is there a brand? that's a good high-end already seasoned i mean i know lodge is probably the most popular and it says that it's seasoned but fuck it's not right um i think i saw an ad for i think it's called like smithy or or something like that i mean is there a hey i don't give a shit what it costs i want a fucking cast iron that's like ready to use and super high quality it's already polished and smoothed out is does that exist i mean i think 
what you said is right. Lodge is the, I can go on Amazon or go to my grocery store and get a $15, $20 pan. But yeah, Finex out of the Pacific Northwest, it's a F-I-N-E-X. They're gorgeous. So it's a really pretty pan. Um, well, like a, you know, probably cast iron, reach down, grab them, you burn your hands. So they've got, you know, the type of handle on it. You can actually pick it up and handle it there. They're really pretty. So, yeah. you know, you're going to spend a few hundred dollars, but it's American made. It's gorgeous. Like, yeah, that's. And it's polished out smooth. Yeah, it's good. Is it already seasoned or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's good to know. I um, think it is. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it is seasoned. So yeah. don't quote me on that, but I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So I wanted to get into just some methods. We've already kind of talked about uh, them to a certain extent, but um, just some of the nuances of where do you see people uh, as they're just starting out, like fuck up the most or, you know, what words of advice for, you know, whether it's smoking or, or, you know, cooking in general, like what are some of kind of the key things that you see people screw up that you can, uh, you know, offer them some advice, myself included, to, uh, to not have to learn the hard way? I think the number one thing is, you know, people aren't patient enough and they don't give it enough time. And there's a lot of things I could say to go into that, you know, um, whether it be the prep or the cook. The, the biggest thing is the cook. You know, I, I get the phone call saying, okay, brisket tasted good, but it was tough. Well, you didn't cook it long enough. You didn't cook it till it was tender. And yeah. that's number one. But it takes, um, it takes the actually putting thought into what you're doing approach to get it right. So I share with people, so we use this Saturday example all the time. You're going to cook a brisket on a Saturday. Well, it's okay to come on Friday night, crack open a beer and trim your brisket down, season it if you want. You don't have to get the BS work out of the way, put it in the fridge because nothing worse than waking up at 5 a.m. and being like, oh, I got to go trim a brisket. Yeah. I haven't had my coffee. So just do the meaningless prep stuff or same thing with the tailgate. If you're going to go tailgate on Sunday, we'll do get all the piddly crap out of the way, you know, season your chicken wings, put them in marinade in a Ziploc bag, be ready to cook when it's time to cook and the, you know, allow yourself enough time. Barbecue is obviously something that requires a lot of time and patience and people don't give it enough time. It's I'm serious. A Saturday deal will be like, Hey, I've got the, I've got people coming over in an hour and the brisket's not done. What do I do? I'm like, you have to finish it. You have to finish it the right way. You can't pull it now or it's going to suck. That yeah. the number one thing is they don't give enough time and they, well, hell, I lost some pit masters because I ran short of time. It's my own fault. And my brisket was tough in the story. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a crutch or a save time-wise? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me, just from a kind of a broad spectrum cooking standpoint is let's say, you know, you're, you're at that point, Hey, you got an hour left, but it's probably three or four hours left, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that that's what it's going to take to smoke it. Is it sacrilege to take that and, and, you know, put it, uh, say, cover it in foil, throw it in the oven, you know, at 350 for an hour and, and finish it that way. Is that no, no. I mean, that's what you got to do, because and, and I use that tool in my events all the time. I mean, so let's answer your question first. Yes. Wrap it in foil, crank the temperature. If it's if the thing is already smoked, like a meat only takes on so much smoke. So if you're past the 165 internal stage, you're wrapped anyway, crank the temperature and you can go pretty high. I mean, you can get in the 300s and, and get up there and get it done because you know, again, don't try to have your brisket. If your party's at five, don't be shooting, have your brisket done at five, shoot to have your brisket done at two yeah, so that it can rest, but you can absolutely crank it. I mean, I'll go to events and let's say we're making like brisket burn ins and they're not tender enough. We say foil them, put them in, get those suckers tender. Things get tender after 200 big cuts, right? So foil that thing, steam it, get it tender and then go from there. Yeah. Um, always foil 
cover it instead of the uh, butcher paper? Well, if you're that, so that's if you're in a hurry to get it tender. Because yeah. if the, the so if you go back to when we talked about brisket, when you get to 165, if you wrap in paper one and beside it you wrap one in foil, the foil one's going to get done quicker because you're steaming the meat, right? That's your shortcut. So you're you're losing the bark on the brisket, but you're getting it done quicker. If you wrapped in paper and cranked the temperature, you'd likely just dry it out. You're not steaming it. That paper, the whole reason you use paper, it's permeable. Um, so that bark stays, but you're not steaming it, right? Yeah. It's just still literally going up and you'll probably dry it out. Yeah. Is, uh, I'm curious, do you know temperature wise at what point is that butcher block going to fucking start on fire? Do you know? That's a good question. It's pretty high. I mean, higher than you would be taking yeah, it. Not that, 212 where no, 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 most no, no, shit's no. going to yeah. burn. Yeah, no. All right. So one question I did have that I struggle with too, and, and my take on for, you know, everybody listening, like you want to get into barbecue or whatever, like a, a, a decent pellet grill to start would you say that that's you know kind of the, the best thing to get to start fucking around with or it's, you just gotta ask yourself questions like people will say if i could only buy one grill what i buy and i get asked that a lot too yeah. and when i first got in this i felt like you picked one grill or the other and like i bought a big green egg when i couldn't afford to be spending a thousand dollars on a grill um, a lot of people now are buying two it's really hard for me to say this is the one. And, you know, I use, I get, because I was with one company, went to the other, I'll say, is one better than the other? And that's not why I did it. I just say, okay, well, let me ask you some questions. And I get into, are you busy? Kind of what are you looking to do? And um, some people like the versatility of like a Kamado cooker and they don't mind manually adjusting these vents. It's like, okay, do you want to run a fire, right? Mm -hmm. So with my stick burners, my Kamados, I have to know how to build the coal bed, the fire, and run the fire and keep the temperature gauge where I want it all manually. Number one, are you cool with that, right? Then once you get it going, what do you do? Are you normally messing with it? Are you leaving? How often are you doing this? Is this is this the once a month cook or is this something you want to, you want to cook on 14 times a month? Yeah. So I poke a couple questions and I just, I, don't, I won't tell you which one to pick. I'll just say, well, here's the differences. So on the pellet grill side, and this is important, I think, for everybody, why have they become so popular? And it kind of is what you just said. If I take you to a barbecue joint and you have the most amazing barbecue you ever had and you're like, dude, I want to start making that. Well, a pellet grill is certainly the easiest way to get you there because you can set the temperature and it'll do that for you. So now that fire management thing, that's one less major thing you have to do. Now you can focus on the protein, the meat that's in there. Or it can be like, I'm going to go make this amazing potato salad instead of messing with my fire, whatever, elevate some other piece of your dish, um, go hang out with your kids. Or, you know, I've given this example 10,000 times this year. Here's what a pellet grill will give you on a Saturday. I'd love to make a brisket with you all on my stick burner, but we got to throw a stick in it every 45 minutes, which is great, right? We'll sit there, drink beer, have a good time. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Unfortunately, in 2019, I got to go to my daughter's soccer game at 10. Yeah. Then I got to go to my son's, you know, basketball game at noon. Then I got to roll to Home Depot, right? Blah, blah, blah. And so there aren't, I mean, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Uh, there aren't many Saturdays that I can throw the sticks on the stick burner. And so with a, you know, with a Traeger, I can look at my app. I can know exactly what the grill's at and I can mess with it and change it. So it's just kind of like, what do you want to do? What's, what's good for you? 
I would love it if people buy multiple because I use different, honestly, even though I rep and promote a brand really hard, I use different tools at different times, right? Just depending yeah. on what's going on. Yeah. No, I think those are all good points. I know, um, you know, I, I've tried a lot of different things too, and I find myself, um, using the pellet smoker probably the most, you know, for, for all of those same reasons. Uh, but I do you probably love all your, like, I love all my cookers and I yeah. think they're all different fun things, but what, what my pellet allows me to do is what you said. It allows me to cook with that sort of thing more often yeah. because I can go do other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of the, yeah. The fire management thing is, is its own fucking expertise in and of itself, you know? Um, and that's notwithstanding everything else, you know? So, and that, that's one of those things that it's a skill that I think takes, a fair bit of fucking up before you really understand how to do it. I mean, it's, it's bigger than you think too. You know, it, it's one thing to get, let's just say that you're trying to cook at 250. Well, okay. You got to master that needle being at 250, but not only that, you got to master the fire running clean. Mm -hmm. So if you ever walk up to any sort of smoker, whatever it is, and you see a bunch of thick white smoke coming out, it's that's a dirty up. fire. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it tastes like shit. Yeah. You're looking that's for a, the real light, almost blue, yeah. blue hint. Like you don't even want to see it. Yeah. Basically. Well, and so, I, you know, to me, the on the stick burner side, um, I, I learned the hard way. I have a Yoder side-by-side, -side, but it's the smallest one they make. It was a huge fucking mistake for the simple reason of that, you know, the, the actual tube itself is small and the firebox is small. Hmm. You know, so the, the two huge problems I have with that is one is keeping it at, at a low enough temperature because, the because everything is so small to keep a good good bed of coals and, and everything going and burning clean you have to have a certain size fucking fire and so two things happens one it's a bitch to keep the temperature down and number two is that you're having to feed that thing almost fucking constantly you know small pieces all the time to keep you know uh, just enough good smoke going to where it it gets the job done and and keep the temperature low enough because it, it is it's it's hard to keep it under 300 honestly mm -hmm. because it's so fucking small I, I wish i had bought a much bigger one volume wise or circumference wise with a much bigger box not that i want to smoke you know 30 fucking briskets at once it's just from a fire <laughs> management standpoint it's a real bitch to keep keep it under control yeah. but all right so that's a good shit one just piece of advice i guess i'm curious of is is chicken cooking chicken on on or smoking chicken uh, some people are very good at it. I'm not one of them. Uh, for me, that's another, you know, bit of an Achilles heel of because it's a, a lean, super lean meat and, and generally they're not very big pieces. Thighs are easier to not fuck up because they're darker Dark and, and fattier. But yeah. is, is there some advice you can offer on cooking chicken on a pellet smoker or getting a good smoky chicken without fucking drying it? Yeah, I mean, so let's talk about different, a couple different pieces of chicken. That's a great question. So let's go chicken breast because that's what people cook during the week a lot and they mess up. Go back to the instant read thermometer. USDA says, you know, chicken's done at 165. You don't have to take it to 165, but you damn sure better not take it past 165. So what I do is I, you know, in the thickest part of the chicken, I'm pulling it, I'm pulling my chicken off. Check with my instant read thermometer in the high 150s, I'm pulling it. So maybe even 155. I'm not trying to get your family sick, so y'all choose how low you want to pull it off, but you're going to dry chicken out at 165 on. In anything you're cooking, smoking, when you pull the meat off, it's going to continue to increase in internal temperature, two, three, four, five degrees. So even if I was going to 165, I'd pull it at 160, but I like to pull it more in the higher 150s to make sure that it's still juicy. That'll keep you from drying it out. So that's on white meat. 
like you said, the dark meat's a lot more forgiving. You can take chicken wings and thighs even higher if you wanted to, um, and you really can't dry those out. I buy a lot of whole chickens, and I'm about to put a video out for this where I take chicken shears and I just cut the backbone out, split it open, put a little incision above the breastbone, push it down, pop that out, and you know, I've got like two half chickens if I cut it in half or just leave it together. I love cooking a whole chicken like that. It's basically spatchcock. It's spatchcock, but it's five bucks. So it's yeah. the cheapest way to buy chicken. Um, when it's done, it's easy to pull it apart. But there's the biggest quandary I have in cooking. When you smoke a chicken, the skin's not going to be crispy. And at my house, they're like, well, that's rubbery. Well, the lower <laughs> you cook it, the more rubbery it's going to be. You can, you know, cook more like 325, try to crisp it a little bit. But uh, I cook a ton. I go buy this all natural whole chicken, spatchcock it. Um, I love to brine it for a couple hours. Um, you know, and pull it, you know, in the 157, eight degrees and it's not going to be dry. Yeah. Another thing, let me add one more thing about chicken is my latest thing I've been doing a ton of is smoke fried chicken. So I take wings, smoke them until they're probably more like 175, pull them off and then flash fry them. Oh, sure. Super good. Well, if you're cooking uh, breasts or thighs or if you're smoking them on a pellet smoker, what uh, temperature are you usually doing that at? So, Almost all of my recipes are at 275 just for consistency. But if you're not trying to look for like the most amazing appearance, then I would go, I go uh, like 325. So if I, my grilling is usually 325, 350. So if this is a Tuesday night chicken breast, then I'm those temperatures. If I'm trying to make sure the skin on a half chicken is perfectly intact, I won't go more than 325 so it doesn't pop. But like just for your normal cooking, I think 325 is good. The chicken a little higher than everything else. Yeah. 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 Just because I'm trying to get it a little more crispy. Yeah. Even on uh, straight breasts? Um, That just, no, I'm in the 300 zone grilling because it just reminds me of like the days that I did have a gas grill in college and would you turn it up to and, you know, you didn't need to cook that low because I'm not trying to impart a ton of flavor into it. Um, I cheat on chicken because I go buy cheap marinades and, um, like those Lowry marinades, they put them on sale four times a year and I load up on them. And then I, so my midweek meals are often chicken breasts in a Ziploc bag with some marinade in it. Cause it puts a ton of flavor on it. And then you'll smoke those at three, at three twenty yeah. what, 45, 50 yeah, minutes. Not very or, long. Yeah. 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 And, and it stays pretty juicy if you pull oh, yeah. it at high 150. Yeah. So like the, those in, again, I don't care if people get the Lowry marinade, but those things end up being like a dollar or something with a coupon or three bucks without something like that. They've got all these different flavors. like like the classic Italian lemon pepper, whatever, put it in the Ziploc bag for at least an hour. I mean, a lot of times I'll prep early in the week and um, just put a bunch of that in my fridge, get home, pull it out, throw it on the grill. Even without seasoning, there's a ton of flavor in it and it's super juicy. So marinating like that absolutely makes chicken more juicy than just straight out of the package. It's a game changer. I'll, yeah. I'll like rarely just take a chicken breast and throw it with seasoning on. Like I want it to soak in something. Yeah. 325 is the magic. magic. That's thing. what I do. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know. I know uh, I've I've fucked up God knows how many pieces of chicken on a grill trying to get that good balance. Uh, you talked about marinades. I did want to talk a little bit about injections and brines. I am a big fan of brines. You know, to me, injections uh, have never fucking worked uh, in in my benefit. Um, you, I know you have some of them. Uh, obviously, you're a fan of them. Can you can you talk about both of them? things to avoid why they work or, or how to best make them work. Yeah. So ignore what I just said about the Lowry stuff. Cause I'll go a little <laughs> different direction with this for just a second. So normally I say when you could listen, cause we're going to go the barbecue route now. So not just grilling a chicken. 
So that's why it's a little different. So when I go to make barbecue, you know, I think, all right, I'm going to do three things to this potentially. I'm going to inject it or brine it or marinate it. I'm going to season it. And at the end, I may sauce it. So I kind of think, what am I going to do? I, I don't want to know my plan before I start. But when I'm brining or injecting in barbecue, I'm doing it to impart moisture. I'm not putting a bunch of flavor. So the Lowry's marinade is obviously very flavored, like lemon pepper. That thing's going to taste like lemon pepper. My injection, so I have a beef, a pork, and a chicken, or my brine, which I market towards poultry, but there's no poultry flavor. It could, you could be used for anything. Those are all based to put moisture in the meat. The chicken has a chicken and butter flavor. The pork has a pork flavor and the beef has a beef flavor. So it enhances that flavor, but that's because those are geared towards a competition customer. Really? I don't normally advocate people do it in their backyard. You can, but I don't think you need to. Yeah. If you came to my house tomorrow and I made you a brisket, I would not inject a brisket. It's yeah. just not the traditional way, but I have people call me and say, man, I need to wow my friends. You know, should I inject it? And I say, well, sure. If you want to put, you know, add a little element to it, go for it. My injections have MSG in them. It's the only thing I have that has MSG in it, but that's because I'm trying to hit you with that flavor Yeah. because in competition, that's, that's what you got to do. But again, it's just to put a little more moisture in it um, to not only keep it from drying out, but just to make it a little juicier. So do your, do your brines have MSG in them? No, no? my brine does not. My brine is very simple. It's very old school. It was the last product I released. Um, I mixed it by hand and used it in competition forever. And one day I thought, why the heck am I not selling this? Yeah. It's, it's really good, but no, it's all natural. Uh, for the brines, like especially, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey or something like that, can you just talk about the uh, the essence of brine in general? Yeah, I think extremely important. Turkey's a big piece of poultry. I, that's the, you know, major video I have on my channel right now is actually about that. So I, I take um, big turkey, use my brine, and it's, again, nothing crazy with flavor, but you can add to it. So... I use a big Yeti five gallon loadout bucket, drop the turkey in it with water and the brine. And if people want to add to it, then they can put in um, citrus, herbs, whole peppercorns, whatever, if they want to adjust the flavor. But I'm thinking, you know, take that big piece of meat, pretty high temperature, sensitive. You talked about how you've dried some things out. Well, I want to give people the best shot not to do that. And I don't want to remind myself of eating my grandmother's turkey when I was eight years old and it was yeah. all dried out all the other yeah. night. Like it's got to <laughs> yeah. be juicy. Yeah. Well, plus now, now we don't, you know, people don't eat turkey for Thanksgiving. Now they eat like prime rib. So if yeah. you're going to put a turkey next to that prime rib, it dang sure better be good. Yeah. Are you typically brining like 24 hours? I'll put it in and just brine it overnight yeah. usually. So like just prep it at night and pull it out the next day. Yeah. So it's probably not quite 24 hours, but you know, it could be 12 to 18. Yeah. Have you uh, been successful with a, big fucking brine turkey on a pellet grill oh yeah. yeah 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 the video i mentioned that's exactly what i did i wasn't successful with the haters that came out and said why is that grill not smoking um <laughs> but yeah so i think kamados and pellet grills make really pretty turkeys yeah. so if you were to take a turkey and put it on an offset with like traditional heavy wood they come out a lot darker i think they're best on a pellet or um or a kamado and so for a for a full turkey that's been brined overnight on a pellet smoker what uh, wood are you using and what temperature and for how long typically i know it's going to depend on temp but just ballpark so on these i'm going to go down and i'm going to go opposite of beef i want to go lighter wood so i think pecan is fantastic i mean hickory would work you could use an alder you could use some fruit woods because because you think about the skin i want it to be really pretty at thanksgiving yeah. so i don't want it to be dark you know if you put a turkey in a like i said an offset and you had like an oak it would get quite dark and yeah. i don't want it to be that dark I try to not buy real big turkeys. I try to buy the 13-ish pounders. 
And, um, you know, you're, I plan for about three hours at 275. Yeah. So sticking with 275. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't care if people bump up or down. Here's what I say. Like, if you want to cook lower, then just add time to your recipe. If you want to cook hotter, know you'll cook it quicker. Uh, the hotter you cook, the more it could get away from you. But I'm not real passionate about it. It must be 225. It must be 325. To me, there's no difference in 225 to 275. It's just kind of what you want to do other than time. Yeah. But I, my, I should have told you this up front. But as I, I started watching people cook hotter and hotter and realized they could have great results. And so I kind of tried to find the happy medium. I thought, all right, well, where can I go where I don't just have to watch it constantly and make sure my skin don't pull back? And so I just kind of met in the middle and said, this is going to be the basis of what I do. Yeah. For for a full-size turkey, where are you probing that for the leave-in thermometer? Where are you putting that at? I put it in the breast, which is the last thing to be done. So people need to keep that in mind. Um, I will take the thermopin, chicken or or turkey. I do the same thing. I've always checked in the joint between the leg and the thigh, and I check in the breast. Oh, I don't know why I've always done that, but that gives me a couple spots to check it. Yeah, same um, 158, 160. Yeah, definitely don't go all the way to 165. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a little bit less to make sure you don't dry it out. Yeah. After you, so if you brine it overnight, are you seasoning it with anything or just? Yeah, totally. Um, oh, I'm in the seasoning business. Yeah. Of course I'm seasoning it with something. Yeah. This honey hog is super good, very pretty. The gospel with the black label, super pretty. The D's Nuts Honey Pecan, really good on. Now, where did that name come from? I have a few too many drinks in the pool <laughs> listening to 90s hip-hop music with my friends. <laughs> that was one of the things I had written down, actually, was uh, there's so many funny names. There's like a funny name culture in the barbecue world, yeah. like with rubs and sauces. And I actually trademarked that. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I that's have the trademark priceless. for D's Nuts. God, that's hilarious. <laughs> fucking Snoop Dogg would be jealous, huh? Yeah. Um, so that, you know, okay, well, so that's good advice on the uh, on the turkey and from a from an actual flavor standpoint uh what would you say is is the best for that savory thanksgiving turkey to to season it with on top of the brine so either the gospel my southwestern all-purpose is probably really pretty or the honey hog those are both great choices and then you can decide if you want to add something at the end sometimes i um, i'll glaze with honey i'll warm honey up just lightly drizzle that's kind of good it's really good um, or something that's really cool, favorite product of mine, Texas pepper jelly. They make these things called rib candies. It's like liquefied pepper jelly. They have all these different flavors like um, apple, habanero, whatever. So I use a, a cranberry habanero uh, at Thanksgiving and just drizzle it on the turkey. It's super good. Yeah, sure, that sounds good. A little topper. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's been a, a significant boom in the barbecue uh world in terms of interest in this country in say the last 10 years or so what what would you uh, attribute that to you know i don't really know the major driver but it, you're right it's it's on in, you know five years it's on fire <coughs> and i don't like someone said recently like chefs are the new rock stars and i don't disagree with that you know people want to go to five-star restaurants and whatnot everybody wants to call themselves a foodie people love to eat but the thing that I have found, one of the things that's most interesting, you know, I got into it because, like I said earlier, I got time on my hands. I can mess with it at home. And it seems like a lot of people do that. But now, you've, you know, the barbecue restaurants are exploding, and they're not, it's not like they're all just making brisket ribs chicken. This whole new school movement of tweaking things is, like, blowing up. So people are cooking new cuts. Like in Austin, a friend of mine, Evan, he owns Leroy and Lewis. He calls his new school barbecue. He doesn't serve brisket normally on his menu. He smokes beef cheek and slices it. 
Um, he cooks it confit style, so the he smokes the cheek, and then he instead of just putting it in some sort of braising liquid, he puts it in rendered beef fat, and so it's so rich. And he serves slices of that, right? And it's this big, but people get it and they think it's amazing. Like who would have thought of that? Um, you go to Billy Durney's hometown barbecue in New York, and he's a James Beard semifinalist, um, you know, for the things that he's doing. And he's taken like instead of just serving ribs, he has Korean sticky ribs. Um, to, for an homage back to a place that he, you know, ate growing up there in, in, um, in Brooklyn. He's got all these different flavors like that that just blow you away. And so, again, it's not just going down the road and getting your standard thing that you've been getting your whole life. There's a twist on it. Now, I don't like that word fusion, but it's just different and unique. And Fort Worth right now is about to just catch on fire with the new barbecue joints they have coming in. And there's, there's six of them that are out of this world and everything a little bit unique. One guy's serving all of his tacos instead of just a normal tortilla. It's a it's a, a tortilla he makes in brisket fat. It'll change your life. So I I just think it's the cool things people are doing right now and how they're you know there's so many there's so many chefs in barbecue like like classically trained chefs that have moved over into barbecue and they're adding their thing to it. So it it's just elevating it all that it's yeah. just so good and new and different. Yeah, I, I think it's really neat. I mean, again, it's something I've gotten into pretty heavy over the last decade or so purely as as a hobby but similarly because who the fuck doesn't love to eat yeah. uh, you know um and especially like there, there is a a level of satisfaction that uh that's real and and hard to beat when when you put time and effort into making something and somebody's like holy shit that's good you know i mean it's it's positive reinforcement essentially just just like in a lot of elements of dog training but uh, I can only assume that, you know, YouTube and the internet and social media, just like with everything that's gotten popular, that's played a huge role in, in your ability to do it. I know, you know, historically, let's say 20, 25 years ago, you know, you, you didn't have so many resources at your fingertips to be able to learn mm -hmm. from people. You know, it was, it was fucking things up on your own and there, you know, there just wasn't near the information that's out there that there is now. Uh, for people that want to get started into you know, getting into this, you know, what is your advice for them to, to get started both from a, a setup standpoint? I know you talked a little bit about it, it depends on what your goals are, but just kind of, you know, broad spectrum or uh, generally speaking, you know, how to get started uh, in getting into barbecue and, and figuring it out. I mean, you know, first thing you got to figure out what sort of cooker works for you. Go get that, you know, um, don't ask your wife, just go get it and yeah. then feed her something good and she'll be cool with it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, figure out what cooker you want. And then I look back to me, like, what was my deal? Well, I wanted to learn and I couldn't, I was, I was, I don't get nervous, but I, it was like, I was afraid to fail on certain things. Like I didn't want to go buy an expensive steak. I didn't want to go, wouldn't buy, no way I'd buy a rib roast to make a prime rib. Those things, I'd screw all those things up. But you know, I always say the only wrong way to do barbecue is to not do it. You don't have to do, you don't have to buy this piece of meat and use this seasoning and this sauce to make it great. There's so much latitude in what you do and you just have to like it. And so people just got to get out and do it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to give a generic answer. So many resources out there now, but for me, it was put on there, try it and see what was possible. And I always thought, what's different? You know, you don't have to be different. You could cook what somebody else is cooking. If you, if you just want the tried and true stuff, there's so many resources out there. I'm super accessible and I'll help you get it there. But you know, find the cooker that works and then just make stuff on it. And and you actually said it a few seconds ago. I think one of the things that fueled me early was I had a lot of people saying that it looked good, it tasted good. And, and it's like, why do you go open a restaurant 
other than you want to make money, you know, a chef wants to hear you say, this is the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life. So the minute somebody sits at your table and they eat your ribs and say, dude, those are best ribs I've ever had in my life. You're like, okay, I'm hooked. Right. Yeah. And, and then I've just kind of rolled from there, but, um, just get out and do it and try it and tweak it and do what you think is right. Use the ingredients in your kitchen, go to the grocery store and look at what inspires you and be like, you know what, I'm going to cook beef cheek today and go try it. Yeah. You know, to me, the, one of the best pieces of advice, and this isn't even just specific to, to barbecue is don't be afraid to fuck something up. Totally. You know? But well, uh, let me give you a steak example. So I tell people that I was a steak snob before a barbecue guy. And that's why I give you the example of wouldn't buy expensive steak. I used to go to Bob's Steak and Chop House in Dallas, the original one, and with buddies after work, and we'd buy a steak, and I was like, dude, this is unbelievable, and I wanted to do it. And But I was a guy that was throwing a steak on a gas grill, no thermometer, and just cutting it open with a knife to see what it looked like. I mean, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly <laughs> do. And um, and then once I got two or three tips, I was like, okay, if I screw it up, I can order pizza and I can go on and just yeah. go with it. And my, man, my wife is my toughest critic. I mean, rarely does she say that was good. And it's good for me because, it, you know, she keeps me on my game. Yeah, she told sure. me my food was good two nights ago. And I was like, what did you say? <laughs> Have another wine, sweetheart. Yeah. Um, so speaking of steak, one thing I did want to ask uh, that I'm curious about, we, you know, we talked about, most people not being able to tell the difference between a decent prime and a, and a high-end Wagyu. I know for me, I, I've turned into a bit of a steak snob that way. Like I won't usually go to steakhouses other than uh, there's Papa's Brothers, which yeah. is, is damn good. Um, what's the name of that other fucking place? It's got two two names. Do you remember? Del Frisco's, Albernay's. Uh, I've been to Albernay's. I've been to Del Frisco's in, in uh, New York uh, and one down in Houston. But I'm trying to think of the name... Uh, Maybe it'll come to me. There's another place in in uh, in the Dallas area that I Ruth went. Chris. No, 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 no. That's too low. Yeah, I can't. Fuck, I can't remember the name of it. But at any rate, there's a, a place in Vegas uh, that has really good Wagyu that uh, I think it's um, not Gordon's Joint, but uh, Wolfgang's. I think it's called Steak or Cut or yeah. something like that. But anyway, I guess my point is is that you know I, I've definitely grown accustomed to having a a specific taste for really really heavily marbled super rich you know mm -hmm. wagyu whether it's new york strip or or whatever but um one thing that i don't see a lot of uh is aged wagyu uh and i'm curious why that is i know there are places that have it but you know as popular as wagyu has become and as popular as you know say pat lafreda's dry aging process in my opinion i i haven't had any anywhere that, that did a better job at dry aging you rarely see well dry aged wagyu beef. Is it because it's it's too much? That's what I you know. I need to ask that question of like John Tzar in Dallas, who's like the dry aging king around here. And I don't know. I've always assumed it was the cost, um, but I don't know if that's the case or not. Right? Because you can take a forty four farms heart brand beef, whatever, and and age a pretty expensive piece of meat anyway. And after the aging process, you know what the price is. So I always thought that. I've assumed it's the cost, not the taste, because you yeah. definitely think there would be a market for it. Was a super aged steak is expensive anyway? That's yeah. not, you know, yeah. the crazy higher marbled stuff. So yeah, I guess maybe because typically wagyu is sold by the ounce, and you know the aging process, <laughs> you're losing several ounces. Right. Yeah, fuck, I don't know, but it's super expensive. Um, to me, I, I also I, I do wonder if uh, if there's an element of of a point where it's actually too fucking rich. Because I mean, I, I've certainly had like the. Uh, the Snake River gold grade beef ribs, in my opinion, like the black grade is perfect. The gold is actually, they're, they're fucking too rich, yeah. you know, uh, but 
uh, speaking of, of uh, you know, types of meats, um, you know, purveyors of meat, uh, there are a lot of them out there. We've already mentioned Snake River, Pat Lafreda, talked about Creekstone, 44 Farms. There was a, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Robert Lerma, which you probably know him. I was at Lerma's house two weekends ago. Oh, shit. That was the grill I was cooking on at 1,000 degrees. Oh, no shit. Well, so he, I, I, know, I remember he was mentioning something or posted about uh, a specific um, crowd crowd rise or crowd, crowd cow, crowd cow, fucking olive fed oh, wagyu. Yeah, yeah, Have you yeah. had that? Yeah, I've had it. So, I mean, do you notice a, is there a noticeable difference between olive fed wagyu and non? It didn't blow, I mean, it was really good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's super marbled. So, um, but I didn't put it next to, you know, I hadn't had Wagyu in a while when I had it. So to be honest, I couldn't be like, Oh, it was that much better. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was really good. They sent me steak and ground beef, which, yeah. um, people told me the burgers were the best they'd ever had off that. So oh, there's yeah. something to it. Yeah. yeah. So it was Wagyu. It was the olive yeah. fed Wagyu. Well, Cause they messed up. They, they had agreed they were going to send me some steak and they sent me ground beef. And yeah. then I was like, Hey, hold on. You yeah. told me the steaks were coming. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the things that seems pretty popular here is the mixing of Angus and Wagyu. How in tune are you with the importation of Wagyu and, and kind of on a, on a broad scale, I guess, do you see uh, any uh, potential of uh, purveyors in this country being able to import it? I'm assuming they probably won't allow it, but, you know, actually bringing breeding females over here uh, and, and starting programs. I mean, so, you know, I'm not, the meat purveyor guy to like the solid expertise, but this has just been my perspective. And, and I was at, I was at 44 farms on Monday and talking about their genetics and, you know, there's a major cost, um, to doing certain things. And so in most of these operations, other than, you know, Creekstone, that's just gigantic, you know, these guys are like a lot of these, like if you go buy steaks from somebody, so let's just say 44, you know, all the cattle aren't theirs. They're in a market, right? They're using other farmers that are following their program that have to meet certain standards. And then, you know, so it's called 44 steaks, you know, when they sell it, a lot of people that way, I work with E3 out of Fort Scott, Kansas. They have a network of farms. They work with all never ever products that meet their protocol. Um, I've got a friend here raising all Wagyu cattle. I, I think what people are doing is they're saying, all right, I got this black Angus herd. I'm going to go buy this Wagyu bull and I'm going to mate these things together and I'm going to have obviously a much superior product. Um, and if you're going down the never ever product, you know, in order to do that, there's a massive cost with this. If this one um, heifer falls out and dies, well, oh, well, you couldn't treat it and on it's gone. Your costs have gone up. I think you add all those things in. I think that's what's prohibiting people from, you know, having like this like super upper echelon Wagyu and plus what's the market for it. So yeah. I, I, I think costs are a huge factor in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not unlike anything in businesses that, you know, a handful of people demanding something or, or inquiring about it doesn't necessarily justify uh, changing your business model to it, which uh, that's, that's true in any business. Do you know, uh, does Snake River have that same kind of uh, arrangement where they've got a network of farms? I don't know. I don't know that they do. They have a gigantic uh, ranch. I was actually supposed to go up there and see it this month. Um, they'll, they'll offer you that invite when you final off their brisket yeah. <laughs> at a world championship. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Um, but I, I kind of think they don't. I think their stuff is all there, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Yeah. Um, are there any other uh, meat purveyors that we haven't mentioned that you would recommend to people if they're looking to kick it up a notch, so to speak? So the ones we've talked about, you know, are, the, are some of the big boys. I mean, um, but this is what I, I give you more generic message. I tell people it's, if possible, it's it, 
it's cool to know your rancher or at least know where your beef comes from or how it was treated. Not everybody's going to know Billy Bob Rancher, you know, two states away. But the whole reason I started working with a certain meat company was because I know how the cattle is fed. I know, you know, what they're, I know everything about it. I know how it's finished. I know it's humanely treated. That all makes a huge difference. Like when I go to a 44 farms and visit it, you see, I mean, they're babied. These things are babied so they're low stress. You know, when you, when you finally wean the calf off the mama, they're not putting them in pens a mile away. You know, they're actually, they're developed a certain type of fence so that the calf can't suck off mama, but can touch noses and have less stress. And so, you know, what they do from beginning to end is completely thought out and it, and it makes a huge difference. You know, the reason I started working with E3 owned by Adam LaRoche was he wanted to know what his family was eating. Again, not practical for everybody. You know, some people are just like, I'm going to go buy what Costco has. And there's very reputable places. But um, I think it makes a gigantic difference to know what, what the animal was fed, um, how it was treated. And it results in taste, you know, a yeah. lot. So we covered the big ones. But, you know, if possible, know the history, where it comes from. Align with a cool butcher if possible. You know, I, that goes along with this. I like to know where everything came from is what I do. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't disagree at all. And, I mean, you know, to me, the the humane thing uh, I agree is a big fucking deal. I, I don't think, I think most people, uh, with very, very few sociopath fucking exceptions, you know, abhor, you know, mass farming conditions and, and seeing cows getting picked up right. by forklifts and shit like that, that, uh, that, you know, nobody, nobody wants their food to come from there. Obviously the, the tricky part of having 7 billion people that most of which eat meat on this planet makes it uh, a challenge to, yeah. to do that. But that's a, that's a whole nother fucking podcast, but, um, all right. So are there any, um, resources, uh, barbecue groups, schools online or otherwise that you can, uh, point people in, in that direction to, as they want to get into it or, um, further expand their knowledge base in barbecue to, to attend or check out? Yeah. I mean, I can kind of tell you what, what I've done and what I do. And, and, um, so, you know, I look at books for people that I respect and look up to and, um, like Tuffy Stone was, you know, a judge of mine on Pitmasters, and now we're friends and he has an amazing, one of the most gorgeous, you turn the pages, one of those gorgeous books you'll ever see. And he's a, he's an example of a, a classically trained chef that does barbecue. So his stuff's amazing. You'll learn a lot from that. Franklin, as you mentioned earlier, he's got a couple really good books, his barbecue books, more of a story. It's awesome. So there's those kind of coffee table things that, that you can start with tons of stuff on the internet um you know i think people it's, it's interesting there's good and bad in it so you get a certain type of cooker there's facebook pages for every cooker out there right there's a big green egg barbecuers page there's a trigger grill owners page and they're interesting i mean i think everybody goes there to learn and then you got your you know assholes on there that think they know everything that criticize everything yeah. you do but you know i think one of the reasons we've done so well is is um people that are involved in meat church um whether it's uh tagging us with something they cooked that we made or asking me questions commenting on my stuff it's all positive right like you could you could burn a rack of ribs tomorrow and say use one of my rubs and i wouldn't say hey you burn that i don't care right it doesn't matter just being super positive about it um i don't really use forums anymore in barbecue they're kind of kind of gone on people are it's pretty much social media and um, it's kind of where most things are now. I don't know of any like real big active forums that people are using. There are a couple massive Facebook pages. Um, 
uh, that people can leverage. And if you're here in Texas, there's North Texas Barbecue Addicts page. It's crazy. This page went from zero to 32,000 people in a year, and that's a pretty cool resource. So tons of social resources now. Yeah. Are there any schools uh, like that you can actually attend? Not, not oh, on, yeah. You know, what? Well, yeah. I guess actually, you know, for the, is there a good online option? And also, are there ones that yeah. you recommend to go? Can I person? give you a little plug here? Fucking A. So I think one of the things that's coolest about us is I love to teach and that's become like a big deal with me. Um, so, you know, I teach at least a couple classes a month. And um, so we'll go back to this outdoor kitchen I built. If you want to come to Texas, I know not everybody listening from Texas, but we did a class on a Saturday and a Sunday. I limit the ones in my backyard to 40 people, right? Because it's my house. And so 80 students over a weekend, I had people from 18 states and three countries. Oh, sure. so people come from all over. I had Northern Italy, two people from far upper reach um, of Canada. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, I'm actually uh, about to list, I just agreed to do this thing called barbecue stars online. So I get asked all the time, when are you going to do online classes? And it's just not something I've gotten to yet. So, I got in with a group, me, Tuffy Stone, Harry Sue, um, David Bosco, Butcher's Barbecue, some well-known barbecue guys. And there, I think there's 10 of us total. There's some chefs, some barbecue guys. And so you'll be, if people follow us on social, they'll see there's a window we'll open up um, in, in the month of August where you can come buy a subscription and you'll get my classes as well as all my friends that taught it as well. You'll get all of their stuff as well. So that's really cool. How much does that cost or will it cost? Uh, it's 200 and something. I can't remember the exact dollar offhand is two two something yeah so it was really cool we shot mine about three weeks ago it was all day production uh they they filmed about half of them the rest are for wrapping up and then it'll go on sale and it'll come out early fall and so for that 260 how, how much uh content are you getting so we each did eight modules and so i cooked three proteins and sides in a cocktail i didn't do eight different things there was some uh, modules on like rub and things like that but i did three proteins a side and a cocktail so i did five items i guess yeah. you would say plus other stuff and you but you'll get everyone else's as well so there's yeah. the guys that run um sca the state competition group they did steaks and prime rib Tuffy Stone's about to shoot. I mean, you'll get the full gamut, right? They're going to cover all the major meats. And is each module about an hour, or is there? No, they're in the minutes. So, oh, okay. they're, but they're but they're not. I mean, I think they're they're they range. I think they're ten to twenty minutes per module. But but my meat classes are like they're closer to an hour. Yeah, okay. They're longer. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thing, I I bought all the master class stuff recently, but there's not a lot of barbecue stuff in it. Aaron's yeah. got his stuff in it, but it's mostly other chef stuff and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So. The uh, the in-house deal that you do at your your personal residence backyard, uh, since it's 40 spots, how, how long of a class is that and what does that cost? So we do, um, my general class is five hours. And I mean, I can talk to you all day, but the reason I do that is um, I went back to what could you convince your spouse with no problem? Okay, five hours is cool, right? So we do four meats in five hours. So a, a typical class would be like brisket, pork ribs, beef ribs, pork bellies. And we, we switch it up, but we always do brisket with burn ins. We do one sort of ribs and then we change the other two things to keep it interesting. And so they start at 189, which is really inexpensive, to be honest with you. Um, they go up to the most expensive we'd have was 329. I'll bring in another well-known person to teach with me about once a quarter and we'll collaborate. I'll do two meets. They'll do two meets. All those backyard classes usually sell out in 24 hours. 
Yeah, that's cool. And we've got other options too that are cheaper, different. Um, I partner with TX Whiskey in Fort Worth, so I go to their whiskey ranch every other month, and we can hold 100 people there. That usually takes a few days to sell out. That's a little less of a class because it's two meets. It's 150 bucks, but you get a tour of the facility, three drinks. It's super cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and we're going to host a massive one. I think it's going to be in November. I'm going to do the Meat Church Revival this year. And my current plan that I'm working on is it'll be more of a full day. And we may even do a two-day. We may do a, okay, for a certain fee, you come Friday night, you see the prep, you see the briskets go on, whatever. You see a whole hog go on. But then on Saturday, we're going to teach five meets, and four of them will be taught by other well-known people that fly in for the event. So it'll be kind of like an all-star teaching thing. And I've got a really cool old venue, the Chautauqua Auditorium that was built in 1902 in the park in Waxahachie, so it could hold 1,000 people. We won't go that big, but that'll be a lot of fun. That's good shit. Um, Where can people uh, find out more info and sign up for stuff like that? So I list mine at meatchurch.com. I've got a barbecue classes and appearance tab, and I list it all there. Um, we're just about to list a bunch of new stuff cause I just finished a five month run of like just murderous run. And so, uh, we're heading out on family mandated vacation in yeah. two days and then I'll come back and roll a schedule out. But, but if you go to our website, there'll be a pop-up to sign up for the newsletter. That newsletter only exists to tell you about class. And I email that list a day before I list it to the public. So it kind of gives you a jump and the opportunity to, to get in a class. Um, and then I always put it on social, everything goes on social the next day. So, yeah. Okay. Is that kind of the goal? Like big picture, five, 10 year plan is to incorporate more classes and teaching and online and stuff. That's like? what I'm most passionate about it. And I try, you know, that's what I try to do the most and due to, you know, obligations for partners out to be here and there. I don't have as much time as I want, but I would love to do it more often than we do. Cause I can't keep up with the demand and, and I can't, you know, I traveled to Sweden, Australia, Utah, New York to teach last year. And I have opportunities to do it all the time. I just don't have the time. Yeah. You know, there's only one of me, unfortunately. How, speaking of the two places in particular, Sweden and Australia, I know there's a lot of good beef that comes out of Australia. I know when I was there, and granted, this was fucking 20 years ago, I, I was not impressed with the quality of meat. Now, granted, we were in the in the outback, you know, the Northern Territory area by Darwin, but which is a little different than uh, some of the more metropolitan areas probably. But um, what is your take on the quality of beef that, uh, that you've gotten out of Australia and Sweden for that matter? So both are really unique and I'll explain that. So, um, American barbecue is on fire in Australia. They, it's just, I mean, it's probably outside the U S the hottest area for what we do. Um, I had Wagyu brisket. I was teaching brisket when I was there, um, and steak and it was super good. Yeah. It's, it, it was came butchered from a little bit. It came from there. And it looked different because they, they butcher it a little different, but it was really good. How uh, Do you know what the difference is butcher-wise, how, how it differs? It was just trimmed. Like if I if I broke out a Creekstone brisket for you right here and then one that came from there, they looked, they just. The shape. And yeah. It, it was, different. I was like, what is that? You know, it was almost looked like a shark fin with the, <laughs> with the point the on it. tri-tip. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? Um, what about Sweden? What was the, uh, what was that beef like? So that's really interesting. The place that I teach at in Sweden, I've been going there for three years. They import their beef from the U.S. <laughs> they're basically trying to be Texas barbecue, and yeah. they're doing a really, so. I mean, how crazy is this? I'm teaching barbecue on one of Aaron Franklin's pits over in there in Sweden. Yeah, so <laughs> and I'm really beef. good friends with those guys, and they import a lot of stuff over there. But they do bring me things to cook. So I had um, they brought me reindeer the first year, which I'm like, boy, my kids are gonna be upset. Yeah. Fucking eating Rudolph over here. Yeah, that was good. Um, and they brought some dairy, old dairy cow stuff that was, that was weird. 
The the actual beef. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah, have that. you had any beef that was sourced from Sweden that was that that good dairy cow that, that wouldn't. But I, no, I mean I you know I was getting stuff that was brought to me to do my thing. That dairy cow stuff was from there, and yeah. I wasn't like a big fan. It, of that. It, it sounds like it was old. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's hard to make anything old taste good. All right, good shit. So I'm assuming from a social media standpoint, everything is at Meat Church for. Yeah, it's uh, it's all the same. It's all at so Instagram is at Meat Church, Twitter's at Meat Church, Facebook's Meat Church. We try to keep it simple. Yeah, amen. Uh, well, fucking rock and roll, man. It's been uh, been a great chat. Is there anything you want to add uh, to uh, to the discussion before we uh, close it out? Oh, I was excited to, uh, excited to be here. Um, different, unique for me. I've done uh, doing podcasts for like the thing right now, yeah. but uh, this was actually the one I that's honestly look most forward to uh, with your background and, and audience. And so, super stoked to take a take a little bit to let me share my story. Yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, you're a wealth of information. I know uh, there are a lot of listeners that I have. Uh, that are are pretty heavy into barbecue, which is pretty neat. So um, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, shout out to uh, Origin Labs uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, great guys make her Jocko's products, their own stuff, boots, um, jeans, etc. Uh, looking to do some stuff with them in the future, uh, as well as obviously TeamDog.Pet. If you have a dog, sign up for the training. It's ninety nine bucks for a year. Uh, lots of info in the forums, and I get in there every Monday and interact with uh, you, the audience. So as always, uh, thank you to the listener for putting up with us and paying attention and lending your support. Without you, we could not do what we do. All these Meat Church products that are sitting on the desk, if uh, you want to see what they look like, uh, go to the YouTube channel and, and watch that. Uh, and also, uh, actually, real quick, can you? I know you're in a fuck ton of different stores, but can you, you can you mention some of the different places to get the product? Other yeah, than um, you can go to meatchurch.com, and I have a retail tab, and you can put in your zip code and see what's closest. But you know, some of the big boys. I mean, in Texas, we're all over, um, uh, like Bucky's, uh, Premier Grilling, uh, Barbecues Galore's all over the country. Heavy in California, uh, we just got in Murdoch's in the Pacific Northwest. There's 34 of those stores. Uh, we're in all shills, outdoor stores, a uh, lot of, you know, we really focus on specialty retail, trying not to go in like super big box yeah. stuff. So, um, over a hundred different ACE outlets. Um, and then, you know, directmeatchurch.com, anything you order directly from us is less than a week old always, which is like pretty crazy. Yeah. Nobody does that. Are you on Amazon also? Uh, we are, we have a store that fulfills that for yeah. us as well. Okay. Yeah. 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 Good shit. All right. Uh, again, thank you to the listener. That's where you can find the stuff. You know where you can find me. And you also know you can choke yourself. I had to throw that in there. Um, appreciate everybody's support. Uh, we will see you guys in the near future. Looking forward to uh, getting the feedback on this more niche podcast. And uh, we sure enjoy bringing you the content that we do. So without further ado, until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. 
I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.